You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Stemmings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 218 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me on this Saturday night, just for a change, it's Matt Smith. It's a sunny Saturday evening, everyone. It's <laughs> lovely here. Honestly, if any of you guys could be here at the barn with us, it is so nice outside there. I, I, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Matt has the best place to work in the UK with the view that's behind <laughs> me here is the river is so nice yeah, honestly absolutely. one day we'll do an alfresco version of the show yeah of Out the show there. we'll do yeah. we'll do we'll, yeah. do a, we'll do an outside maybe nev can come over and we'll go to chan's beforehand mm. and, yeah you yeah. know we'll do a bit of a thing <laughs> you know but uh, so yes. we are going to welcome as always uh, onto the show our other awesome co-host of the show sir neville bounds how are you Yes, hello everyone. Very well, thank you very much indeed. And uh, it's been a great week. Very busy again, and uh, outside gardening today. But nice, nice day actually. But it's a bit, a bit thundery now, so uh, mm. we shall see what happens tonight. I think see, it might be a bit, uh, bit thunderstorm we rainy. We still have glorious sunshine here in mm. Bungie at the moment. It is absolutely seen. In fact, actually, it's, have we it's, not got a really, really long USB cable, Matt, that we could sort of run a camera out to the unfortunately uh, for successful usb communication the limit is about three meters <laughs> yeah um, it's a bit further so, than three meters so it's a bit further than, so no is oh. the uh, short answer to that oh, question well. but uh, take my word for it people yes actually nev we were having a chat just before we started weren't we because there is this slightly unnerving thing in it, and i'm very concerned here because it does look like when nev goes to las vegas very shortly that he will actually be flying cattle class and i'm I'm very worried, Nev. I'm not going to lie. I am very worried about you. Well, I've checked with my insurance policy, right. and it is okay. <laughs> just for me to do that. Um, but um, yeah, I, I'd be quite interested in uh, doing a, a Nev's passenger experience about that. Mm. <laughs> but of course, yes. I couldn't really interview myself, so I'm looking for perhaps one of our listeners to do that. So when I come back. Yes. Um, depending on how I get on. Yes. Uh, let's, let's try that out. And uh, so, if anybody's got any suggestions, yeah, see how upset he is. But yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, so it's uh, yes. Yeah, so it is a uh, little bit of housekeeping. It is now two minutes past seven o'clock in the evening. It is Saturday, the twenty sixth of May, twenty eighteen. So coming up in the show later on, we've got uh, we've obviously got some news to catch up with at the mm-hmm. beginning of the show. Uh, we've also got a awesome uh, segment from Nev's the Nev Pastor your experience yes. uh, coming up later and we also have the second installment from uh, pilot pip his uh, ppe Indeed. segment yep. uh, which is coming up as well later on we've got a little bit of military news uh, and just uh, just so you to give you all the heads up we may well have uh, a couple of guests joining us uh, at some point during the show not 100 percent sure yet because they're in kind of varying different places around the world but uh, hopefully we uh, might have stuart on the the uh, the the show, who you may remember, Stuart O'Neill, who's uh, a pilot for a regional-based airline here in the UK, and we may have Brian Coleman joining us as well later on. But uh, it's yeah. My, my advice, maybe Carlos would have been maybe not to mention anything at all, and then we'll see. But <laughs> but this is the, this is the beauty of a live. Well, show. that's true, isn't it? Absolutely, it could be everyone or nothing. We might lose Nev before the end of the show. Who knows? Oh, yeah, <laughs> 
<laughs> anything's possible. That's okay. Sue will take over. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yes. yes. Or the cat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so anyway, Nev, you've had uh, you had a busy kind of uh, gardening type day today with this glorious weather we're having here in the UK. Yeah, it's great, wasn't it? And uh, so I spent a little bit of today just getting all my gear ready for tomorrow. <gasps> What's happening yeah. tomorrow, Nev? We are off to Bruntingthorpe Airfield uh, in the morning, uh, and we're going to see Neil Lanwarn up there, and we're going to mm. be doing some interviews and that sort of stuff. So we're going to shoot some video, do some audio interviews as well. So really looking forward to that. Weather is going to be a bit dodgy at times, but I think mm. we might be okay for the most part. So, uh, yeah, I'm really so. looking forward to tomorrow, actually. It should be good. It's going to be good, isn't it? Yeah. What are you doing to, uh, tomorrow, Matt? Why Why are you not joining me? <laughs> right, yes. Uh, so I'm doing an airport run tomorrow. Uh, uh-huh. I've got to go to Stansted to pick up my friends Lisa and Lee, who you have met if you've watched yes, the show yes, before. Yes. They've been in the studio a couple of times. They're coming back from uh, Lanzarote. They've been there for two weeks. And uh, Oh, blimey. Yeah, uh, really? Awesome place for plane spotting. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Uh, yes, he has promised me some video, so I'm, I'm hoping <sighs> that there might be some... Uh, I spent uh, many, some, many... Yeah. An hour standing because you can stand underneath the flight path of the aircraft coming right. into land okay. at Lanzarote. That doesn't sound overly safe. I've got to be honest. <laughs> it's awesome, honestly. <laughs> for uh, for any plane spots out there, Lanzarote as a destination has uh, it's like near enough complete all round access to the to viewing the aircraft wow. taking off, taxiing, and and stuff uh, coming mm. in. And you can stand underneath them as they fly over your head low. Which is, is really. I must good. say, actually, while we're talking about that, the one place I'm desperate to to maybe go and do a bit of plane spotting, actually, I think was where Nev went because you you went at Schiphol. You were saying the viewing gallery there when 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 you went over and, and had a little meet up with some of our listeners. It was absolutely, you know, it was an amazing place if you like to watch the world go by. Yeah, and because it's up so high as well, you've yeah. got a fantastic view right over the apron. And, uh, yeah, lots lots of uh, photographers there. And they're very generous, you know, that they, they let you take pictures and uh, all the rest of it. So uh, really, really nice. So, uh, ah, Lane, uh, Lane, link me link me in on that, will you please? He's, Lane just said in the chat room, apparently there's a live streaming webcam at Lanzarote Airport. There is. I've is been watching there? it this week. Yeah, okay, oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, please, please do, uh, Lane. Stick, oh, stick that in an email to us, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And it's I'll, good. And I'll see if I can find it. They yeah. broadcast in really good quality well, as well. Yeah. The, awesome. I was watching one yes. evening this yeah. week. Hop to it, Lane. Hop at to night. it. And <laughs> the, the quality of the cam at night time is really good as well. And the yeah. camera is situated right at the end of the runway, so you can see the aircraft landing, taxiing, mm. and, and stuff. It's really good. Sounds good. Well worth a look if Absolutely. you're there. So yeah, we've got say, nothing to do with what we're supposed to be talking about. But it is aviation-based. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, to be fair. We, and I started it. Who'd mm. have thought that, eh? So uh, <laughs> a quick hello to everyone who's joined us in the live chat room this evening. We've got uh, loads of the family in there, as always. Lane Street, hello to you. Shorty Crosgrove. Uh, we have got Richard Adams in the chat room, Andrew Wilson as well. Uh, just scrolling down, Ma- our main man Micah as well. Not forgetting the Micah. blue spanner of the blue death. Sp- he's our blue spanner of death this evening, as- yes. along with Nev. Uh, Richard King, Neil Lanwarn, evening from Bruntingthorpe. Ah, he says. of course, we'll, yes. We'll be seeing you tomorrow, Neil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Wi-Fi is obviously not too bad there, then. No, the Wi-Fi must yeah. be good. <laughs> yeah. Is the Wi-Fi good? Is the 4G yeah. signal on the EE good? That's anyway. not going to be any good to you with a with a with with loads of people there. Why don't? Oh. Why can't you get that into your head, Carlos? It will. It will. I have a, I have a good phone. Anyway, Mariana, hello It's got as nothing well. to do with the phone. Oh, it my is. God. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to help me, help, help me, Nev, please. Anyway, let's get Matt to do some work. So we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. Uh, yes, I certainly am. Good. And if you're ready, Nev. 
Yes, completely. Let's go. So, kicking off this week's first news story, this one is on the national.ae website. And the headline is Viking Airline armed with new Airbus plans transatlantic raid. What? Viking, you know, it's that sort of Nordic thing. Okay. So, a new Nordic raider is about to descend on Europe's leading airlines in the shape of a little known carrier. That's uh, the launch customer for Airbus's latest jetliner. Primera Air, a specialist in holiday flights from Denmark, run by Icelandic oh, Icelander Har- oh, blimey, here we go. Harfran <laughs> Thorgerson, I good. probably pronounced that completely wrong, aims to take delivery of the first long-range version of the A321neo narrow-body aircraft in October this year and use the extra miles it, it uh, gives to offer transatlantic flights that are normally the preserve of larger twin-aisle aircraft. Primera is not alone in targeting the low-cost long-haul market from Europe's far north. Norwegian, or Norwegian, Air Shuttle uh, has pioneered heavily discounted US flights with a fleet of 787s and is also a future customer for the Airbus uh, long-range model. Uh, while WOW Air... WOW! I was waiting. Sorry, I, I nodded off. Specialises in transporting <laughs> cash-conscious travellers prepared to change planes oh. in Reykjavik en route to North America. In all three cases, the airlines have looked south to find a market. Primera commenced flights from London Stansted to Newark last month and will operate from Paris to uh, and Birmingham as well, with services to Boston, Toronto, uh, Washington as well. Uh, Norwegian has or Norwegian has a major base at London Gatwick can also operate 787s from Barcelona, Paris and Rome, as well as deploying single-aisle 737s at the limits of their range from Britain to Ireland to the eastern US. Uh, WOW connects uh, 21, wow. European, <laughs> 21 European destinations, uh, uh, with 15 in the US and Canada via Iceland. So Thjorgerson said the airlines are being forced to look beyond their Nordic heartlands, partly as a result of subdued demand at home, drawing parallels with the economic pressures that are stoked the Viking invasion of Northwest Europe more than a thousand years ago. And uh, the number of charter passengers out of Denmark is also unchanged over the last five years, and that's true across Scandinavia. Uh, we saw the same thing in 800 AD, he said. But I mean, they're kind of comparing history here with, um, with, with the current kind of 800 AD? <laughs> wow. Stansted alone has a catchment area. Did they do area. much flying in 800 AD? Stansted alone has a catchment area. When did the Wright brothers start Of 26 <laughs> million people, according to Primera, uh, which has established uh, headquarters in Riga, Latvia, to minimise costs. That's about the same as the combined populations of Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland and Iceland. Larger airlines are awake to the threat and have begun operating their own lower-cost uh, intercontinental services. Um, and the story goes on. Primera's two A321LRs, equipped with extra fuel tanks, give a 4,000 nautical mile range. That's the longest for any current single aisle model. Uh, they'll be sourced from the US, uh, a leaser called Aerocap Holdings, NV, in order to gain first mover advantage. 
Uh, from 2019, the fleet will also be swelled with as many as 20 Boeing 737 MAX 9 jets. For a small carrier like us, it's vital to get a head start, said Thjordsen, and the low-cost market across the Atlantic is going to grow. People are unsure about, uh, about it, but it was the same 25 years ago when Ryanair and EasyJet started. As a consumer, if I think the product is safe, comfortable, accessible, and goes to the right airports, he's going to offer the best price. Now, obviously, we've, uh, we've covered um, stories where they talk about uh, narrow or single-aisle narrow-bodied aircraft flying from the UK to the US but it's still I don't know I, I when you when you get when you talk about going anywhere long haul the states or Australia or anywhere mm. you kind of kind of you know put a, a wide-bodied bigger larger jet uh, yeah. on that kind of route anything small well mind you saying that you've done obviously America on the 757 <laughs> yes, yes, I, I don't know if I mentioned it at all I, I, I a few it, times I thought I've been quite mute on the subject um, <laughs> but, but uh, okay. yeah uh, actually, on the subject of flying, uh, may I, may I uh, introduce somebody who has just joined us who is uh, rather partial to quite a lot of flying. Good evening, Sir Brian. Hello, hello, hello. Is the microphone actually working? Uh, is, you sound like you're coming from the computer, but it's all right, sir. It's fine. Yeah, I, <laughs> first time with Google Hangouts and uh, the computer's not picking up the, the mic. One of the things I love about this show is when you ask the listeners to send you some information, they do exactly that. And I have to say that, as promised, Lane has sent me the link for what we were talking about at the top of the show. And I, I'd never seen this before. And this is absolutely oh, that's the, incredible. Is that the live feed, this is the live feed from Lanzarote airport yeah, that's where i stood yeah, yeah we've literally yeah. just we've got something here look just about to take off this absolutely that is amazing. atr i think you'll find us an atr 72 i think that is this one is, of the um yeah. oh, there's a 737 just coming in from absolutely the left. so to, to so to go to it, anybody so we're, as i say we're watching this at the moment this is it's available on on youtube there's a sort of link in there and it is basically it's www.lanzarottiwebcam.com and it is literally the you know the 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 air, this ju it's just a jet two holiday. Somebody's just came. In fact, actually, that's who uh, Lisa and Lee are flying back with right. um, tomorrow. So, uh, so yeah, that is just so cool. I did. You know, I didn't. Of all th people, you'd have thought I didn't know these no things audio. exist. No right, audio. that's all right. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't. Yeah. I don't mind that there's no audio. Uh, <laughs> it's good quality though. It's good quality. It is. It's yeah. absolutely incredible quality. Yeah. I, I'm going to be dipping into in and out of that all all through the show. Anyway, on to story number two, and uh, it is on the Sun newspaper or the Sun.co.uk, obviously where we go for all of our very important aviation-related stories. And actually, um, I, I, I've forgotten. Um, one of our listeners actually sent us this story, in, didn't they? They did. Uh, yeah. And it was uh, Carlos will look it up to remind me in a second. <laughs> Ryanair uh, is the is the story obviously because it's uh, story number two and a Ryanair flight was clipped by another plane as both prepared to take off from Stansted Airport. This is not the kind of news that you want to hear. Uh, the aircraft set to fly to Dublin as hundreds head to Ireland today to vote in the abortion referendum was hit by a Primera fly flight which is uh, not great. Now obviously Primera have only just started flying out of uh, Stansted if my memory serves. So, yeah, uh, that, that and that's their story. Indeed and they're flying um, transatlantic trans they they're flying out to yeah. anyway the wing of a Primera flight uh, to Malaga clipped the, the the tail of a stationary Dublin bound Ryanair aircraft as they were both on the taxiway before three fire engines raced to the scene uh, Primera passenger Razik 
uh, Usain Bai, 26, from London, uh, told... <laughs> That's all important. <laughs> absolutely, told Sun Online, yeah. the collision came following a series of delays on the flight to Malaga. He said that there was an apparent problem with the air conditioning and we'd been delayed for two hours. It felt like we were taxiing very, very quickly. He felt a bump like when you drive over something in a car and then uh, you could hear the wing scraping down the other plane. That's never a noise you want to hear, is it? <laughs> it's just That's just awful. Uh, a spokesperson uh, for the airport said that both planes were required to return to the stand after the minor airfield incident at around 9.15am. Tom Hart 30, who is age 30, I don't know why that's relevant, was on board the Primera flight when he felt the blow from the Ryanair jet. He says around 200 passengers are now stranded at Stansted Airport and haven't been offered an alternative flight until 1.30am. He told the Sun online we had already been delayed because of technical issues and as um, we were on the taxiway we felt a blow I wasn't sure what had happened I felt like there had been a strong wind but uh, when he looked out the window it became clear what had happened we had to wait on the plane for around about an hour before we were uh, brought off and you could see the dents in the wing of our plane we're now totally stranded, and the earliest alternative flight they've uh, been able to offer us is 1.30 a.m. tomorrow. Now, I must admit, I didn't realise um, that much flying took place sort of after midnight, really, at uh, Stansted. But uh, there have been no representatives from the airline giving us uh, any information, and it's been left to the general airport staff. People are furious. We've got a wedding to get to tomorrow, and other people have seen their plans thrown into chaos. Now, whilst I am sorry that all these people have been inconvenienced, uh, surely to goodness they have to understand that when something like this has occurred, and let's be honest, people do make mistakes, you can't just risk getting in an aeroplane and flying away. No, that uh, so that, story, oh, yes, that was from Richard, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. thank you, Richard, for that story. Yeah, yeah, emailed into the show. So yes, thanks, absolutely. yeah, thanks for that. But yeah, it's it, I must stress that this uh, that it, you know, it's one of those stories that's glorified by the sun drama, airport drama. But it was just a clip. It, it was, wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't a kind of uh, you know, a, or you know, a, one of those disastrous things. Mm. That, uh, no, that I know, but it's but, just um, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. You know, I'm sorry their plans were in inconvenience, but uh, you know, it's. I mean, presumably, I mean, what was so what would happen in a situation like that? Presumably, the, both aeroplanes have got to be yeah, inspected, e and then even minor, if very even if it was minor, and there was there mm. was no sign of any damage. Both um, both the aircraft would be, you know. Took a, took to one side, offloaded, and the the you know, the people will be put on another aircraft kind of thing um, until they're checked, basically. Un until everybody's happy. Until everyone's all right, happy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Until the engineers have looked and uh, said, yeah, that's okay and fine. So you know, even with the minor minor um, incidents like this, that would be um, checked over. Indeed. Look, sorry, I, I've got to come back to this because we've got something coming into land now. I'm sorry, I'm absolutely fascinated by, <laughs> by this thing. I'm, I'm not going to be concentrating on the show at all this evening now. I'm just going to be watching this. This is literally like, oh, I wish there was one of these at Heathrow. Come How amazing be would lovely. that be? Perhaps we should mention that to, to Adam. I don't think yeah. we should. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll never, I, I don't think we'll ever be allowed to talk to him ever again if we were to make such things. Uh, so, yeah, as I say, lanzarottiwebcam.com if you want to have a look at this. This is absolutely amazing. Oh, look at that. Ooh, a, bit ooh, of a, bit a little of bit of a puff of, smoke, of smoke there. there. Very clear. Oh, I just love it. Oh, I'm sorry. Anyway, you were saying? Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, I'm sorry, Brian. What were you saying there? <laughs> 
No, I just said he smacked that one down kind of hard. Yes, absolutely. It's a family show. <laughs> Indeed, very good. Yes, a little bit of a puff. We'll just we'll just call it a poof of smoke. Poof of smoke. We? Yes. yes. <laughs> so moving on to the next story, and Nev, uh, a bit of a bit of a BA one for you. It is, and it's on the btcmanager.com, which is just happens to be the initials of Brian T. Coleman. Very good oh. point, yes, very good, yes. Oh, he's got nothing to do with this. He is. Um, uh, but it's all about uh, Bitcoin, and oh. it says that British Airways is testing VeChain's blockchain check-in service. The new service has already received the endorsement of IAG, which is the parent company of British Airways. In its purest form, it details a system whereby airlines and government agencies will be able to verify the identities of people traveling against a vast database held on a blockchain. The system works by checking the validity and reputation of travel documents against a distributed database. The fact that blockchain technology powers the service will allow for the verification of personal information without the need of sharing any information with third parties. Um, if British Airways gets a signal back from VeChain that they and others have seen a certain data set 20 times before and have been happy every time, it helps them make smarter assumptions about you as a security threat, they said in the statement. Wow. Um, British Airways parent company, IAG, has already invested in VeChain through its Hangar 51 startup, uh, underscoring its endorsement of the service. The company is currently conducting tests of the new service upon which it could be expanded into a full commercial product. The use of the new service by British Airways should go a long way to building its reputation and credibility, given the vast number of passengers that the airline handles <coughs> excuse me, from Heathrow Airport on a daily basis. And the fact that the airport handles more than uh, 200,000 passengers a day all but calls for an efficient system able to verify travel documents in the fastest way possible to ease congestion. The award-winning new service continues to arouse keen interest in part because it's designed to ensure the privacy of people's information during the check-in process. VeChain appears to have taken a leaf out of Microsoft's book. I'm pausing for the comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now. There, obviously, uh, oh, which is yeah. currently working on a project that seeks to make it easy for people to own and control their identity in a decentralized manner on a blockchain. IAG is not the only company to have taken notice of VeChain and its potential impact when it comes to verifying the identity of people. The new service has already won a seal of approval from Prince Andrew, the Duke of York, at the ninth uh, pitch. Oh, well, I mean, I mean, sign up to it immediately then if Prince oh, Andrew has endorsed yes. something. I mean, surely that's a, that's a, yeah, anyway, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I ran, and, out, I ran but, out of enthusiasm there. I'm so yes, sorry. <laughs> it, it says that VeChain emerged as the winner amongst 42 blockchain and cybersecurity startups that pitched their innovation at a glitzy ceremony at St. James's Palace. Could I just point out one slight flaw with this story? Uh-oh. If they're going to be doing all of this, why are they publicising it? Shouldn't it be kind of just Toxic. in the background a little bit? Because yeah. that, this has now alerted everybody to what might be going on and therefore potential... Working out ways to get around. Criminals will find yeah. ways around it. 
Yeah, this is this oh, is not uh, this is not this has not been thought out, has it? Let's be honest. This is this is. Anyway, I'm sure it's um, it's a great idea, and it, there won't be any problems whatsoever, and it'll be a completely smooth. So I mean, I, I'm sort of <laughs> right. Yes, okay. I'm going to gloss over that and uh, just to say. So now this Bitcoin thing, which I must admit, even as an IT guy, I'm a little bit unaware of. Is this? And I've heard two analogies actually been mentioned to me by by friends of mine even this week. One which is the Bitcoin thing, and then this the other one is this cryptocurrency. Now, are they one and the same thing, or is it? Uh... I think they are. That's the impression I, I get. Yeah, um, and you've got you know what Bitcoin is a type of cryptocurrency over uh, say like another brand if you like. So Bitcoin is the brand, and is that is that? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps I don't know. Ethereum would be another cryptocurrency. So there are multiple types. And yeah. Even for those that want to participate in an alternative one, there are things like um, cannabis coin or hemp coin. Right. So, <laughs> well, yeah, so it seems like everyone that has their own mm -hmm. special industry uh, is coming up with their own cryptocurrency. And I assume they have very sort of relaxed interest rates and things like that, obviously being uh, that that sort of... No? Okay. <laughs> I've, uh, I've digressed. It's uh, all very technical. Yeah, I, sorry, I'd rather yes. just deal with, uh, yeah, yeah, with yeah, pounds and euros. Pounds and shillings and yeah, pence. And yes, pence and stuff, yes, yeah. absolutely. So the next story then, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, Brian, you've, uh, you've uh, got the next story. Yeah, I do. Is actually is the microphone okay or I've heard worse. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm yeah, happy. sorry about that. Yeah, no, um, no, not at all. I just didn't have enough time. I rushed home to get here to I to know, good. And we are it didn't have a chance to set up the hardware. We're entirely we're entirely grateful, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> so this story comes from the Hollywood Reporter and it's Oddly enough, a United Airlines story. Oh, United Airlines' <laughs> partnership with Private Terminal at LAX Airport. So, my, uh, gee, can I say my airline of choice? The airline I tend to participate <laughs> with an awful lot. And yeah, the Private Terminal, something that I absolutely want to check out. Um, because this is truly a spectacular uh, offering that they have. And for the... the hoity-toity and ultra-rich and celebrities that surround the uh, Los Angeles area. Anyway, back to the story. Um, and it looks like United's getting ready, although two years delayed, to open the Polaris Business Class Lounge. Uh, so oh, that's scheduled to open this fall, so that's nice. And the article reads, United, United Airlines is upping its VIP game at LAX. The airline is offering exclusive access to the private suite at LAX, a brand new terminal with personalized check-in, bag drop-off, and private TSA screening. The terminal, which has an entrance wave from the congested airport traffic loop, offers individual suites with snacks, flat screens, and a full bar while you wait. Absolutely something that I need to get used to. <laughs> United promises guests will only need to walk 70 feet from car to plane. 70 feet? How could... Uh, they couldn't make it 60? Sheesh. It's very specific, isn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, so it chauffeurs them across the runway area in a BMW 7 Series sedan. An eight-person team will also be assigned to each client to help keep paparazzi at bay. A problem I have every time. Of course, well, absolutely, every time you're flying. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. And the usual rate for a service is $4,500. Uh, 
Though there's no membership fee for United customers. Yay! <laughs> uh, but only when you book through travel agent or corporate booking desk. Right. Uh, yeah, the, it's a little bit pricey for this eight-person personalized chauffeur-driven service, but still, not bad if you have money to burn. I, 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 uh, I quite like the idea that it, that it's sort of like a chauffeur-driven sort of door-to-door. You get dumped off at the lounge, you know. I, I, there's a lot. There's a lot of that that I quite like. I, I, the nearest I've yeah. ever got to. I, I've never experienced a lounge. I have to say, I've I've never experienced a lounge. The nearest I got to it as when last time myself and mum flew, we 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 had this special assistance that I'd never really sort of experienced before, and uh, that is probably the closest I've ever got to having like an airport lounge because they took us to our own little air-conditioned pod of the airport if you like that to to wait until we were allowed to to board but uh, we certainly weren't offered any beer or anything like that <laughs> yeah so this truly is a, a unique experience at least in in the states um and again it's not part of united airlines it's a separate company and they have a bunch of individual suites so you and your family or traveling companions whoever uh it's really set up like someone's living room mm. and there's a individual bar and you can drop off your laundry and basically people will go shopping for you. So really anything that you need or desire, uh, the staff of eight will take care of and accommodate you. And it's, so it's on the other side of the airport and that's why they have to drive across um, in, in the car to get to the, the proper terminal building. But then you get to walk up the, the stairs at the jetway and just board the plane and avoid the entire airport mess. So, so that I, part is really, really cool. I'm, t- I'm trying to sort of pop the, the pictures up that uh, I say the pictures are on the it. story. There's uh, there's obviously a picture of like the room, as you say, Brian, like a it's just like a like a like a, yeah, there it is. Yeah, yep. any, it's like anyone's and, and there are bedroom. multiple rooms like this. So you are cordoned off from the other celebrities or high rollers that are uh, taking just, advantage of the service. I, I just like being isolated away from, from the other people. I, I'm not fussed about being, you know, celebrities might be more interesting, but I just like the idea of being isolated from other humans. I love the sweet general. dispensers yeah. on the wall. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, not bad, huh? <laughs> Indeed. Mind absolutely. you, for that price, I'd expect... Yeah, well, sort of gold, gold, gold plated sweets. Yeah, absolutely. I want, I want them to be made from gold leaf. This is, this is the, this is the issue, isn't it? And, so, and the other one, the, the other picture that I will just very quickly pop up while I'm waiting. Oh, I pressed the wrong button. I'm, I yeah, sorry. I'm having, I'm having one of those days today. Well, it's because we started on time. Are you watching another plane land? Yeah, no, 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 no. I have had to close that just for fear of, uh, of doing that. But there's, there's, <laughs> there's the private suite thing where you sort of, you know, so you arrive by helicopter, get thrown into a, into a B, Is that a BMW? Oh dear. I don't know. Is it a BM? Or is it a Merck? Yeah, it's a 7 Series. Nev would know. He loves BM. Yeah, they're his favourite vehicle, aren't they, sir? Well, he probably has to drive in a straight line because it can't use its indicator. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. This is it. Yes, yeah. No, but they're optional extras, aren't they? Um, What, uh, indicators? indicators on a BMW, yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's one of those. There's there's lots of things that I really quite like about this. Uh, How about you, Nev? Would you like to experience something like this? Well, it'd be great, wouldn't it? But uh, I just the, the the practicality of it, it is just um, well, especially you know, imagine this Heathrow with all the congestion that is 
in and around the ground areas, ground areas, for example, uh, it, it'd be stuck in a traffic jam behind the bus all the time. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> now, but Neff, here's here's a thing that United is doing that I think is really really smart, and I usually don't say that about United. <laughs> is you can purchase this um, the the uh, private suite as part of your ticket price. So they bury the cost in with the ticket. So if you have a uh, flexible, sorry about that. If you have a flexible uh, travel policy or, or, or company that um, doesn't scrutinize the price of your ticket, it's not broken out as a separate line item. It's just oh, the right, cost okay. of the airfare. Gotcha. It's, uh, it's, and it's, it's, um, so I think that's really smart on their part, and I think a lot of people will end up taking advantage of this. Too right, absolutely. It, it is a, a, a little bit of an update, obviously, in the fact there's nothing going on, I'm afraid, at, uh, at uh, Lanzarote <laughs> at the moment, nothing going on bit, at all. Sorry. Absolutely. So next story. I'm sorry, I'm now officially, I, I'm <laughs> not going to be able to read out stories anymore, I'm sorry. You can, you can now you see I'm why I was absolutely obsessed by this, absolutely. Anyway, sorry, Carlos. Carlos, so, uh, I, can't, I can't finish with the other bad part about United. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah they do. That? Sorry, Come sorry, on. sorry. Yeah, um, because this is, so the article continues, the second point? future, the Polaris Lounge at LAX will open this fall, and it's only been under construction for two years or so. The original <laughs> room was so incredibly undersized, uh, they, they had to redesign it and acquire more space for this lounge. It will be really nice once it's opened. I've been able to take a preview of uh, the room while it's under construction. But the whole farce of United having the special Polaris class when a vast majority of the fleet still doesn't have the Polaris seats. Um, there's only, well, they just opened the uh, Polaris lounge in San Francisco. So there's now one in Chicago, one in San Francisco. Uh, they're just so far behind schedule on this. Um, I, I really think that they should be ashamed for what they've done or haven't done, so. Obviously, when... That's it. The article continues with a bunch of other fun stuff, but um, yeah, that was basically it. I just needed to <laughs> wag my finger at United. Say oi, yes, absolutely. Actually, on, on that disaster. note, uh, on that note, Brian, have you had any uh, nice, uh, exciting flights with United lately? Uh, nice, yes. Exciting, no. I was recently <laughs> in Germany, and so I I flew over. Um, on, on United in, in Polaris class. Uh, and the crew, as I reported on the Airplane Geeks podcast when I when I talked about that, the flight attendants were completely indifferent over every passenger on board. They did, I think, the bare minimum amount of work and it, it just reinforces, I think, why people prefer to fly non-US carriers for a premium cabin. Yeah. And again, I got there safely. I really can't complain because I did have a life flat seat, but it's still not the product that United's promising. And it really would have been nice if the, the flight attendants actually put forth a tad bit of effort in doing their job. Uh, but I, mean, what I do did you... experience the miracle of flight. I got there safely. So, I mean, what, what all the do rest you... is gravy, I guess. What do you think the reason behind that is, Brian? I mean, it just it it just see I I see I always it always baffles me where where you know it's a product that 
you know you're expecting a certain product and then for whatever reason it's not it's not there when when you get it i mean you know here it would be like false advertising and all sorts i mean what, what do you think's behind it is it just laziness or well, there are two parts. So there's the rollout of the hard product, which is just delayed. And as they upgrade their planes, when they get new planes, they're coming out with the new Polaris seats. But United's getting, quite honestly, very few new planes. And when they go to refurbish the planes, they're on a schedule, but it's something like a five-year schedule right. that they're going to, to add the new seats. So that's a problem. The thing with the clubs, talking about announcing the clubs and just not having them available, again, I think that's just shameful on, on, on their part. And the company should have either delayed the rollout or yeah. spent the money up front to... To do um, it all in one hit, yeah, sort of. Yeah, you have it ready. Now, having apathetic flight crew, there's an awful lot of reasons for that. I think a lot of it is, is management management decisions, yeah. um, policies and procedures that have been put in place that prevent them from doing the job. I think some of it is the integration of Continental and United. It's just taken way too long operating under separate uh, unions, so the flight rules are different for them. It's just been a, a mess. Um, so, yeah, it's... yeah, those are just some of the the reasons why I think United is is suffering so badly. The other interest, the, to me, the other interesting thing just about the particular flight that I was on, just comparing and contrasting an international carrier uh, versus a U.S. domestic carrier, uh, because I uh, recently flew to uh, Taipei on Eva Air, and when they set up the table for a meal, they came out, they placed the linen cloth, they set table so the wow. knife and fork were separate whereas on united they were rolled up in the napkin right and it was up to the customer to set their table <laughs> so um, i suppose it felt so like sort of dinner service no yeah. one complaining about something or <laughs> commenting on yeah. something that's really minor but it's the attention to detail mm, yeah. when it came time for the everyone to go to sleep and with the bed service on united i had to ask for mattress pad and a pillow whereas right. on eva they came around and said can we make your chair into a bed now right and, you know some people said yes and the flight attendant did it for them wow and others said you know no give me an hour or 10 minutes or whatever and they came back and or just leave me the stuff and i'll do it myself and you know th it was taken care of whereas on united Every single passenger had to ask for the stuff, and then the flight attendant would just hand it to him and walk away. Wow! I mean, that that, that well, it's it's like a different world, isn't it? It's essentially that's that's what you're describing. And I, I suppose the only time that could be uh, they're compared, as I say, I, I've got ringing in my head a a flashback to a Nev's passenger experience not that long ago, where uh, United and uh, uh, British Airways were mentioned in the same breath, and United was considered better. That's uh, there, there's a damning, you know, it's a, a worry time. We haven't had you on since, Brian, because I wanted to talk to you, talk to you about that. It was just. Uh, 
my boss and, and uh, so Sarah and Charlotte, they they went to Las Vegas, which is where Nev's going, uh, probably on the same plane. To be fair, Nev. Um, <laughs> yeah, could well be. Could yeah, well be. absolutely. So we're we're hoping that it'll be a better experience than the one he had. As I say, and their their experience was nothing but sort of damning. I think to be fair, and they did say that the flight that we had, um, you know, to New York with United was far superior. So they can, you know, whether that's a good analysis, you know, analysis or not, because essentially their flight was so bad that United was considered luxury. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it really does depend on what you're comparing it to. That's for sure. But, well, and this this is the thing, isn't it? So you know, there is hope. For, there is hope. Anyway, we must move on to the next story. And uh, this one is with you, I think, Carlos. Which is on the cnbc.com website. And uh, it's a story regarding the new 777 from Boeing, which has got uh, the folding wings. Well, to wing tips, it should be said. So uh, the third iteration of Boeing's popular 777 airliner series will be able to retract part of it of its uh, wings. Uh, the FAA recently signed off on the proposed designs. Folding wings have been employed for some military planes on aircraft carriers, but this will be the first instance on a commercial plane. The upcoming 777X aircraft will sport an extended wingspan of 235 feet. A design change that will bring some uh, more flight efficiency but might not fit into how airports are built. The folding wing will allow pilots to reduce the plane's wingspan down to 212 feet. Uh, small enough to continue using terminals designed to accommodate older 777 aircraft. The wing transformation will only work when the plane is on the ground, and the FAA developed a special conditions document to ensure that the technology meets safety standards. Engineers developed uh, primary and secondary latch systems that will keep the wings fully extended during flight. And Boeing is uh, scheduled to uh, bring the new 777X series to market in 2020. Now I'm looking really looking forward to seeing what this uh, is going to look like in operation, and um, obviously there's there's lots of systems in place to safeguard. Obviously, as it said, sort of redundant uh, systems to make sure it doesn't kind of fold in flight. What do you think of this Nev, the folding wing wing tips on here? Hmm. Well, it's all very new. Well, it's obviously new in commercial aviation. There's been stuff in the military for for some time, but uh, they're going to have to make absolutely sure that it's spot on isn't it and mm. um, but of course um it's no different from flaps or retractable landing gear in a sense is it so it's uh, it's, it's got to be absolutely t totally reliable and there's got to be some contingency if something doesn't work at all at all so um yeah interesting to see what, how that comes out so i presume this is the the the, the, the wings are like folded out if you like before they take off i mean so this mm. is you, they sort of taxi away from the airport and then you know, make them full length essentially. I mean, they just look like sharklets, don't yeah. they? I mean, that's yeah, the, it, exactly. that's the weird and thing. I think they they did that specifically to make them look like sharklets, so passengers wouldn't be freaking so out <laughs> or, 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 or scared over it. And, and most of the people, I think, won't notice it anyway. Yeah, and it, it's not that large of a wing surface area, so I think even if one were to become unpinned in flight, I, I really don't think it would affect the aircraft all that much anyway so i'm sure they'll test the um bejeebus it, well, uh, yeah indeed yeah I, I, I think 
I, th- yes. I think, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, but no, I'm looking forward to the triple seven X. That'd be good. Uh, good, nice to see the the new triple seven mm. coming online. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So next yeah, story. Not, oh. They've been doing this in military aircraft for. Oh, decades, they have. Yeah. So it's it's really not new technology, and I think nothing to be scared about. It's it's actually I think kind of an innovative solution for commercial aircraft, and um, if it improves performance and uh, yeah, the everyone will end up benefiting as a result. So I'm, yeah, like you, Carlos, looking forward to to flying on the aircraft. Yeah, perhaps, yeah, uh, perhaps Airbus might pick this up with the uh, 380. Yeah, make it less less larger. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, so, so the next story, Matt, for you is yep. uh, on another awesome publication. Yes, uh, it's the outlet. Daily Mirror. It's the mirror.co.uk, which I know is one of Nev's favourite um, uh, fish and chip wrappers, I believe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, this is... Uh, the headline is UK Air... Ooh, you're breaking my little aeroplane over there now. Look, do you Sorry. mind? Excuse me. Thank you. Leave my Boeing, you know, 737 Absolutely. UK Airline picks up the title of Best Travel Brand of the Year. And it's a budget one, too. So the popular budget airline has been named uh, which travel brand of the year, thanks to its low prices and customer service. And this will come as no surprise to you to discover that it's not actually Ryanair. Uh, And it is uh, when you're off on holiday, you naturally want everything to go off without a hitch. From the moment you head to the airport, after all delayed flights or rude fellow passengers can make for a stressful start to what should be all relaxation. So you you want to know you're in good hands when you pick an airline now which which is a publication here in the uk if you're not familiar with it that sort of it's all about customers isn't it it's sort of uh, you know customer focus groups and things like that so which has revealed the winner of its travel brand of the year award and it's good news for brits on a budget that's because low-cost airline jet 2 has topped the list proving you don't always need to splash the cash if you want a good experience the which awards recognized what that that despite a design disastrous year for airlines jet to stood out for providing its customers with cheap tickets good customer service and timely compensation steve lee commercial director of jet to and jet to holidays who collected the award said we are very proud to be named which travel brand of the year as it is a ringing endorsement of the services uh, that we give our customers these coveted awards are given to organizations that provide the very best customer experience and it does uh, and it does go to show that the investment and hard work that we put in into delivering a VIP experience for our customers is very much working. So Peter Vickery-Smith, which chief executive, said, since its inception, the Witch Awards has been committed to rewarding brands who have consistently put their customers first. Which Awards are not handed out to just anyone. The, the year, This year's winners have reached exceptional standards, delivering excellent products, services, and value for money. Uh, I won't go on because it's sort of basically repeating itself but I know uh, and I will talk to Lisa and Lee in the car on the way back tomorrow afternoon I know that's who Lee, Lisa and Lee have flown out to uh, Lanzarote with and they chose uh, Jet2 because of the amazing experience that they had the year previous having the year before that always flown with Ryanair and the one thing that they said that blew them away a bit was how smiley and happy the, uh, the, the crew were to be 
doing their jobs essentially uh, rather than miserable and depressed which is just uh, uh, sort of a, a shame really because you, you sort of like to think that all cabin crew would be smiley and happy but uh, apparently that isn't the case so while you've been doing that story matt i've gone online <clears throat> Uh, as I do when, uh, when yes. we're doing these sorts of stories and uh, I've looked at the price of a flight for all three of us me, right. you and Nev oh. to fly out uh, to Lanzarote to do some plane spotting uh, the uh, only reason he hasn't included you Brian don't be offended is because they don't fly out to America sorry, so, don't, so you know that's the sorry. only reason he hasn't included you he's, he's, he's not being mean unnecessarily no no no, no. <laughs> so, so, me, so me Matt and Nev will, will jet off next Thursday to do some plane spotting in Lanzarote where we had a look at earlier and um if we're not if we're going to stay light and just carry a little hand luggage bag uh it'll cost me and matt and nev the total sum of 528 pounds return wow uh that works out around about 700 us dollars for us uh, for our us listeners about 700 dollars for me matt and nev to fly to uh, to lanzarote next week to do some plane spotting oh, uh, how about that nev? absolutely yeah, I'll, I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. We could have a, we could then lift this footage here and just actually just you know we could be on the plane landing at Lanzarote with a in a jet two plane. It's quite busy there now. It is oh, very busy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's lots of stuff taking yeah, off yeah. And, and, and that at the moment, isn't there? Yeah, so I'm, moving I on, might how, come back to this. How far of a flight is that for you guys? Ooh, well, Lanzarote. About five hours. Lanzarote no, no, is no, about three, four hours. Three, four and a half, three and a half, four hours. Yeah. Yeah, well, there we are. Far. No, okay. and it's 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 very windy there as well. That's one thing yes. that we found out when we were yes. there. It's a it's a bit of a windy isle, and uh, island. Um, indeed, yeah. You came home early, didn't you? Yes, <laughs> yes. The weather was so bad, we flew home early. Yeah, <laughs> it's not called Lanza Grotti for nothing. Uh, now no. look here, Nev. That is not except how very dare you. I had one of the nicest. Oh, it's a TUI. Is we you know? There's a TUI aeroplane here. Look, here we go. There you go. Look, so I love it. It says, "We've dotted the I's, crossed the T's, and put you yes. in the middle." So, yeah, there we are. You don't, Does that you mean I get a free flight? You now? don't get this on any other <laughs> aviation podcast. Look, guys and girls, for those of you in the YouTube chat room, I'm live sorry. views yeah. here of Lanzarote Airport. <sighs> I anyway, to, I, I really do need. I'm I'm getting nearly as bad as you lot. So uh, moving <laughs> moving on to the next story, and uh, Nev, this is this is a bit of a bit of a tech story. Oh, I just I missed it. It then took off. Oh dear! Honestly, Sorry. rookie mistake. <laughs> Honestly, this is an interesting story on CNN Travel website. It's called Jabberbox, an airport lounge all to yourself. Ooh. It says, "Haven't quite got that executive club status, or just find airport lounges overwhelming." Well, a new concept has appeared in Terminal B of New York's LaGuardia Airport that could be the answer. Meet Jabberbox. These windowed booths can be rented to gain access to Wi-Fi, USB charging, mood lighting, flight trackers and audio speakers in a private space. Currently, access costs $10 for 15 minutes, $15 for 30 minutes and $30 for one hour. The idea was born when co-founder Brian Hackathorn found himself marooned in midtown Manhattan with nowhere to make a work phone call. Starbucks was too noisy, plus he didn't want to have the confidential conversation in public. He envisaged a new concept, the idea of an on-demand, reservable ecosystem of private spaces, as his co-founder Jeremy Jennings describes it. 
Technology is related to mobility, and there's really no place to find privacy in technology, Jennings uh, told CNN Travel. The duo forces to get, uh, sorry, the duo joined forces to get a hackathon's idea off the ground and into public spaces. We started looking at uh, air, the airport demographic as one of the largest places uh, of our captured audience. A mobile worker, a professional traveler that's always on the go, said Hackathon. Jabra uh, team envisaged their booth as enhancing, not replacing the airport lounge experience. Lounges are a great place for certain amenities, but you still can't find true privacy, a place to do focus work. So I think that's so I think we're a great extension of that, says Hackathon. The entrepreneur said the highest usage of the Jabra boxes at LaGuardia is near the business lounges. I think intuitively uh, what what's that saying is that the user is looking for a certain guest experience, he explains. And they can go out of the lounge, use a Jabra box, and then go back into the lounge for their free cocktail and a place to sit. So I think it's truly an, ad, uh, ad, truly an ad, adjacency. Uh, Hackathon said that his creations are workspaces, not phone booths, and eliminate claustrophobia with extra space. You don't feel as though you're within an enclosed chamber. You feel as though you're in a nice, comfortable, cool, calm environment, he said. At the moment, passers-by can see into the box whilst it's in use, so creators are testing the use of screens to add privacy. Uh, Mitch Nadler, the Director of Commercial Development and Operations for LaGuardia, Gateway Partners, describes the booth as a great enhancement to the travel experience. They're very popular. We see it as a walk through the terminal. We see the usage. We see people stopping in their tracks in amazement that there's this opportunity and option for them out by the gates, he said. Nadler has, hasn't ruled out installing more of these at LaGuardia Airport, and the booth's creators hope the, boo hope the pilot program can be rolled out to other airports, both domestically and internationally. They could also be installed in commercial buildings or used in hospitality. If they take off, the days of using airport delays as an excuse to avoid work could soon be a thing of the past. Well, I don't know. Uh, what do you think, <laughs> gents? Uh, this just looks like um, taking up a lot of space, but, but I don't know. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I actually I, think it's a good idea, and I wouldn't okay. mind seeing them in the club All itself. Right. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities where, like they said, having a confidential conversation, you don't want everyone else to hear, and having that private area um, would certainly be nice. Mm. Um, yeah, and there are certain people when they're talking on the phone, quite honestly, I don't yeah. want to listen to them. No. So it'd be nice if they would go away and sit in their little work area booth thing yes well of course that, and that, that is what the i mean that the, you know the telephone box as we know it was a telephone box for a reason wasn't mm. it because it meant that you could have a sort of private-ish conversation without absolutely everybody being able to hear you for hundreds of miles i mean it's just uh yeah I, and, and i quite like the fact that he's got the little touch screen and everything all built into it so that you can sort of you know or you, you know I, it, has it got like entertainment stuff in it as well so as a punter you could just sort of 
um, sort of well, rent it, it if you it's like. It's got and, connectivity for, for Wi-Fi and USB and all this sort of yeah. stuff. So uh, I just hope it smells better than the average London telephone box. Ooh, Ooh, now, there, there isn't. There's a thought. Yes, Mike. Mike has said in the chat room, it's, a, it's an air-conditioned tele- uh, telephone booth without a telephone. Uh, yes, that that is yeah. true. Yes, there we go. Yes, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm back to me, Lanza. Something's coming into land now. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> come on, then. What aeroplane is this? It's got, it's got, I don't know. It's, it's got, got wings. It has got wings, yes, absolutely. Oh, dear. I, I, I wish I'd never found this site now. Welcome it's like, to yeah. the... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Welcome to the live stream. Look, come on, you should be slightly proud of me. I'm actually geeking out on aeroplanes. I know, I you know. should be, a small part of you all should be very proud of me. <laughs> it's scary. What, what, have we, what have we released Yes, here? you've released this monster into on, the, on world. the world. Honestly. Just when you thought it was safe to go outside. Yeah, no. Well, I'd say it's a seven three seven eight hundred. Judging by the winglet. Oh, listen, to, yeah. listen to the expert and there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, is it a Ryanair one? <laughs> slightly flattened base of the engine. Oh, look at the CFM yeah. fifty. Yeah, so yes. That's probably going to be a well Thompson Chewy, yeah. uh, one of those inclusive two tour operators. Yes, are. yes. I, 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 I yeah. guess by the blueness that I think I would agree with you. Anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> I've um, become very distracted. That's, that's actually come from Charles de Gaulle, Paris. That one. Has to, it? Yeah, that uh, that one. That's but the south thing. of France, they don't need to go to yeah. Lanzarote for holidays. It's nice. It's doing there. twenty-nine knots at the moment. Is it ground speed? Yeah. So, actually, one of these questions <laughs> that I keep meaning to ask ask you, you plane geeks out there, what is it? How accurate is that data on that app? How behind is it? Uh, I think I think Flight Radar Twenty Four is around about. I think it's, if my memory correct or reminds me correctly, it's about three or four. I think it's three or four seconds delay. Right. Okay. So it's not far between. Out. Okay. Yeah, the information you see and it's it's mm, fairly. Yeah. There's a subscription service with them. You can pay some uh, a certain amount of money each month, and, yeah. you, and you get like a huge amount of information. I did uh, have it on, like on a trial um, for a little while. Actually, yeah, it's really it good. Was just yeah. Actually, sorry. The the thing on there where on their on their YouTube channel here says addictive 1080p HD live streaming, and I have to say, I well, that's it. I'm officially hooked. You know. It is, it is, yeah. <sighs> Sorry. Anyway, moving Sorry. on. I'll find something else to do with my <laughs> life shortly. Yes. Matt, the new addiction for you. Gotta love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. Well, it makes a change from the one of food, which is my mm. current addiction. So, yeah, it's got, it's got to be a step in the right direction. Oh, no, I've just seen the story that's coming up next. So, moving on to the next story. <sighs> and, uh, yeah, uh, this, is, this is something for all the, the pet lovers out there, Brian. Yeah. Yeah, I thought because it was from uh, agedcare101.com.au, yeah, 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 yeah. I was wondering if it was just be- because it's old. That's the reason why you gave me this. <laughs> no, one. not at all, Brian. I think that's a fair assumption. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> He's so. horrible like that, you know. You don't know half of the things that I have to put up with, Brian. Honestly, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but he goes, no more snakes on planes. U.S. airline bans emotional support spiders, goats, and hedgehogs. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love that. So, bizarre and true, American Airlines has updated its emotional support animal policy, and it's barring <laughs> ferrets, goats, hedgehogs, ferrets. sugar litter, oh my I have no idea what that is, <laughs> amphibians, insects, reptiles, rodents, spiders, and snakes from flights July 1st. So, also, also on the list are animals that are unclean or has an odor <laughs> any creature with tusks horns or hooves miniature horses trained as service animals are exempt go figure 
and non-household birds such as is it kooks? I've never heard that before. Or a, birds of prey. So it's nice that you cannot take your chooks. Oh, right. sure. sure. You, yeah. Yeah. you can't you, you can't take your bird of prey with you. Oh well, that's a shame. There was me hoping to do a bit of falconry on the plane on the way over. <laughs> I mean, honestly, what the hell's going on? Uh, it's just like. Yeah, oh. But wait, that's coming up in a second. Oh, so, no. <laughs> yeah. So what is an emotional support animal, you ask? Mm. The U.S. Service Animal and Support Animal Registry defines them as an animal that provides comfort just by being with a person. Oh, Buddha. Right. <laughs> Which I think pretty much covers every animal if it yeah. provides comfort. Anyway. <laughs> um so it says, but after a 40% jump in people bringing them on their flights between 2006 and, or 2016 and 2017, American Airlines says that animals don't qualify unless they have been trained to perform a specific job or task. That right. said, you can always fly with another more, yeah, with another more animal-friendly airline. Last year, a Saudi prince bought tickets for 80 of his pet falcons. I remember that. <laughs> so, Matt, As there you go. you do. Yeah. Right. You can, you can, you can fly on, on uh, Etihad with 80 falcons flying around. Right. Okay. So. That That is kind of my uh, the idea of my worst nightmare. I do have this little thing. I, it's not a phobia as such, but the idea of birds flying in a confined space uh, makes me a little unnerving. It has to be said, this picture that I'm looking at here is essentially all of those fears wrapped <laughs> up into one nice caption. Um, <laughs> it's just bizarre, honestly. It I mean, is. well, the picture you yeah. put up on the on the beginning yeah. of that story, the emotional Matt, support horse, the emotional support yes, horse, absolutely, it's the way forward. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I mean, oh, but who was it? Cap Captain Al was saying that he wanted to bring his emotional support whale on the plane, right? Okay, or, or was it an elephant? I can't remember which. No, I think yeah, well, the, the whale. I think he was referring. I think the whale. The whale was it referring to his eating habits? I think I don't think that had got anything to do <laughs> with. Uh, emotional support animals but <laughs> lane has made a made a good point in the chat room lane street has said what happens when you mix a bird of prey and a snake on a plane oh oh dear yeah. that, that sounds like a very weird movie i've got to be yeah. honest it's just not not something i would want to be going to see Let's the tasty um, lunch for the bird <laughs> yeah. yeah well he wouldn't need he wouldn't need food service during the during the flight would he, he could do actually nev nev no, nev what what would be your choice of emotional support uh uh pet oh, on, brace yourselves on everyone i would say it would definitely be a bird because if um the aircraft ever had any problems with its flaps, then um, obviously that the bird might be able to assist. Right. <laughs> um, that's that's not where I was expecting you to go. I'm delighted. <laughs> but, uh, I thought that was going to be one of one of Neb's one. Yeah, uh, uh, quips, I, I, I had a no, I, I didn't have any, uh, any uh, particular opinion about it, but I think that um, uh, the the type of animal that is being brought onto mm. aircraft these days. Uh, I don't see much of it around Europe, but no. I think Brian would confirm that probably in the US there's a lot, a lot more of it there. Do you um, think a lot of this emotion? Yeah, but I don't know how many hedgehogs we have, though. Is, <laughs> is that much hedgehogs yeah, really an issue yeah, in England? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there is, is it is it possibly? Do you think it's these people like using the excuse of an emotional support animal to move their pet or creature <laughs> or something like that from where they're currently staying to where they're going on holiday? Do you think it's something as cynically? 
simple as that. I mean, don't get me wrong. If it's a guide dog, I completely get it. Because that's, that's totally different. That dog is literally your eyes. It's how you get from one part of the... the you know, that's how you get from the terminal onto the aeroplane. Uh, you know, the, the, if, even if you've got a, an illness... Because I know some people, have, their dogs have been trained to identify when they're about to have a fit or something like that. You know, and I completely get why that animal would be accompanying you because uh it, to be honest with you if the, even if the crew got a, a warning early that perhaps you were about to have an incident of some description that information has surely got to be useful to the crew as well but i, I mean it's like when when <laughs> when has a horse ever been considered like you know and um uh, well, I, I, I suppose people do find horses comforting, but I've never known a snake be considered comforting oh, towards, like, you know, uh, no. is it just because I don't like snakes? I don't know. <laughs> or because you're just not a goth. That, that could Good be point. Well. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, go. yeah, no, I cut my fingernails and everything. I'm well posh. Uh, <laughs> so moving on to the next story before any other pets get mentioned here. Yes, okay. Uh, this one is on the airlinegeeks.com oh, uh, website. And uh, not to be confused with the airplane, airplane geeks. geeks. No, quite this is right, the airline geeks. And um, this is uh, regarding an aircraft. I mean, there must be this must be the last one I think in the world. These uh, and it's uh, an aircraft we talk about quite frequently on the show, the Boeing seven four seven. And this uh, story says the last commercially operated Boeing seven four seven SP. Uh, flown to retirement in Iran. So Iran's history of turbulent relations with Western nations has greatly impacted its aviation industry and forced aging aircraft to continue to fly as newer replacements were unobtainable. As a result, aviation enthusiasts from around the world frequently gather in Tehran to fly on some of the oldest and rarest aircraft still in operation. The Boeing 747SP, operated by Iran Air, has been one of the many gems that AvGeeks sought to fly on before its retirement. Iran's national carrier was the first in the world to take delivery of the 747SP when it received uh, Echo Papa India Alpha Alpha in 1976. A great year, that was. It's a fabulous year. Uh, which it used on the Tehran to New York route. Uh, within two years, the airline had received three more of the uh, SPs. Uh, in addition to uh, the SP fleet, the airline has flown 28 747s, including the Dash 100 and Dash 200 variants throughout the years. After decades of service uh, to the airline, Iran Air's fourth 747 uh, uh, SP, uh, Echo Papa India Alpha Delta, was stored at Tehran's Mahabad Airport. Uh, and uh, Echo Papa India Alpha Alpha was flown to storage next year um, and Echo Papa India Alpha Bravo t- is uh, followed in 2015 and all three aircraft were just a few years short of 40 years old and were reaching the end of their airframe landing gear and engine lifetimes one aircraft however avoided retirement instead of being stored Echo Papa India uh, Alpha Charlie received a heavy maintenance check in 2013, according to Aerospace Talk IR, and re, uh, re-entered the skies later that year in November uh, for a sightseeing flight. When it emerged, it was the sole operating 747SP in Iran Air's fleet. Following its maintenance check, the aircraft continued flying mostly to India. Unfortunately, the aircraft wouldn't remain in the skies for too long and later became a reserve aircraft when there were only few cycles left before it would require more maintenance. In 2015, just two years after it emerged from heavy maintenance, the aircraft was once again grounded but not for long. 
During the summer of 2016, the aircraft took to the skies again, performing the only commercial flights of a 747SP in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, the plane didn't You're fly... You're not saying it right. In the world. In the world. You've got to do it in well, the full sorry. Clarkson. Okay. It's, you know, it's like, in the world. Yeah, yeah. So the plane didn't fly uh, <laughs> over eight hours at any point and primarily flew between Tehran, Iman, Kamuni Airport and Beijing, Mumbai and Kuala Lumpur. The aircraft, uh, named FARS until 2009 when it was renamed Persian Gulf, was again stored at uh, the airport in Tehran following a short period when it flew in 2016. The aircraft received some more maintenance work following its grounding with rumours surfacing that the aircraft would once again take flight, however months passed and the aircraft was still grounded. On May the 22nd, the 41-year-old aircraft, uh, Echo Papa India Alpha Charlie, performed its final flight, a short repositioning flight uh, between IKA and THR. Due to the need for more parking positions at Iran's uh, Air's technical and maintenance facilities aprons, it was decided that the 747SP would be uh, scrapped instead of being stored. The three SP planes already stored had the Iran Air logos and liveries covered and were moved from the airline's maintenance ramp uh, to an area northwest of the terminal to be scrapped and have their metal sold. Arriving on Wednesday, the aircraft will soon join the other three uh, of the SPs at the scrapyard after its fuselage identity is covered. These aircraft are an iconic part of Iran's aviation history and each hold a rich flying history. With plans to have all three uh, SPs scrapped in the next three months, Iran Air has just one 747 left, a 747-200 cargo variant. Now, it's a shame this is, because this is um, obviously a dying breed of the 747, the SP. Yeah. And it's uh, for those of you who uh, can sort of picture the, the, the standard kind of 400 series um, 747 alongside an SP, it's as if someone's got the, the 747 and squished it up, Matt, if you can right. imagine that. It's a very shorter version, but it, I think it was um, it stood for special performance, if I remember rightly, right. the SP part. But uh, I thought yeah. it stood for a short plane. A short plane, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean that would work certainly as 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 a description. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm I didn't listen to any of that story. I was still re I was still watching Busy watching, watching me, uh, me, me Lanzarote yeah, yeah. Airport thing. What have you created? Honestly, I, I blame Lane's you all. Fault. It's, Lane's it's fault. all your fault. It's the Lane's lot of you. <laughs> so moving on to the next story, and uh, it's uh, well, it's a, oh, I suppose I've got to read it. It's now, it's, I? it's another Ryanair story, especially for Matt, and it's Is also it? concerning one of his his favourite. L aircraft manufacturers. Oh, right. Okay. So, right. But but that's Airbus. Yes. Oh, is it? All oh, right. Okay. Here we go. So on the. Uh, I know the words Ryanair and Airbus do not go together. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> okay. So um, this is on the Bloomberg uh, website. So it's Bloomberg.com, and the headline is Airbus may finally crack Ryanair as O'Leary touts order. Prospect. Oh, that is interesting. So Airbus uh, SE may end up with a significant new customer as Ryanair Holdings PLC looks to beef up a newly acquired unit that uses planes from the European manufacturer. Ryanair, which previously operated only Boeing aircraft, will expand the fleet at Austria's Lauda Motion to uh, men to as many as 50 Airbus A320s over 
four years and the narrow body model could eventually account for 20% of the group's overall roster, Chief Executive Officer Michael O'Leary said in an interview on Monday. That might amount to more than 100 jets. Airbus has previously downplayed the chances of winning orders from Ryanair, suggesting the Irish carrier only wanted to secure deeper discounts from Boeing. O'Leary said his company could look to add aircraft to uh, from the existing backlogs of both plane makers if airlines go bust uh, as oil prices climb, citing Norwegian Air Shuttle ASA as one operator where jets may be available. In a downturn, there will be the opportunities as both there will be opportunities as both Airbus and Boeing. O'Leary told um, at both. Sorry. Um, I'm, d I'm struggling to read here, so I'll read that again. In a downturn, there will be opportunities at both Airbus and Boeing, O'Leary told Bloomberg Television. If something does happen with Norwegian, uh, they have huge order books and a lot of those aircraft will be floating around. We would like to opportunistically be able to jump onto some of them. Executive changes at uh, Airbus may help ease relations with the with the Toulouse France-based company. O'Leary added, "Longtime sales chief John Lehi retired recently to be replaced by Eric Schultz, while uh, Fabrice Brieger, head of the Jetliner unit, has also left, and CEO Tom Enders will depart early next year. We are Europe's largest airline," O'Leary said. "We should have a supply relationship with Boeing, and we should also have a supply relationship." With Airbus, Ryanair ranks as the region's number one by uh, passenger traffic, though other airlines are bigger, measured by traffic or customer times uh, the oh, or customers times the distance flown. The uh, discount carriers traditionally favour the simpler structures in order to trim expenses, something that's led to them avoiding mixed fleets that could increase maintenance and operation costs. And actually that's where uh, I, I'm surprised that I'm reading this story really because I thought that was one of the, the reasons why they, they went through, you know, with that model purely and simply because, um, you know, it's one set of spares. If everything is a 737-800, you're only carrying one lot of spares. Therefore, you can get better discounts by ordering more and all that kind of thing. I really can't see um, Ryanair wanting to change their model unless they are really unhappy with the service they're getting from Boeing. No, I don't. Do you, do you think it is what, as they alluded at the top of the story there, that it is literally they're using it as a way of trying to get bigger discounts out of Boeing? <laughs> If anyone would like to chip in, hello. On that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, my opinion about that is, I, I, imagine the, you know, the the crew training, the flight crew training, the cabin crew training, the spares holding, the maintenance procedures. There's there's a lot of stuff to think about there, and um, I don't know. I I think even by Ryanair standards, it would be a, quite a thing to do to sort of hold a bit of a gun to Boeing's head like this. Um, so it's got a little bit longer to play out yet. I think there's there's other stuff going on in the background. So I think we'll have to wait a maybe a couple of more months to see how this is really going to uh, um, um, play out. But really, the Ryanair b built their entire business model uh, on a single 
yeah. aircraft type just as Southwest did, and yeah. uh, that, that that's the whole point of it. So, and that's how EasyJet have uh, done with Airbus. Exactly. Well. Yeah. They got rid of all their Boeing aircraft, and now they're Airbus only. Only. Uh, yeah. It just does. It just doesn't add up. I don't think, does it? I, I just. I, I. I think they are. I think they're tub thumping. I think they want to. They're sort of threatening to go to Airbus to get a. You know, get a bigger discount with with Boeing. Have you seen who's in the chat room? No, I haven't. Captain Jeff. <gasps> Is he? Oh dear. Yeah. Stand by your beds, everyone. A, a nod and a wink and all that. <laughs> so you know, Matt, I think if they have 20 aircraft, then it doesn't make sense. If they're planning on getting 100 or more, yeah. then I think the economies of scale certainly play in. But it adds so much complexity to the operation of the airline. And yeah. I think for their business model, it could actually break them. So they'd have to manage that very, very carefully. Well, of course, you've got a completely different set of pilot skills also. I mean, you know, not all of their pilots would necessarily be type-rated on the A320, for example, if that's what they they were going to have. Uh, as we're at the moment, of course, the the pilot, say, say they had a, an aeroplane go tech, on on the tarmac uh, and they have a spare one they can you know all right not like in five minutes obviously but they can you know that same pilot providing he hasn't gone out of hours can then jump into the one that they bring over because there's no if the only one that they've got sat there is an a320 and that pilot is only type rated on the on the 737 800 then suddenly you've got a, an additional problem they've got 456 of those um in the fleet the 800 series 737 Really, it's quite quite a lot. That is. I, yeah. I, actually, I, I'm surprised that figure's that low. I thought it would have been higher than that. Uh, but well, you got, think how many routes they fly day in, day out? They still have uh, 24 of those on order from Boeing as well. 24 of the Dash Eight. Yeah, is that oh, it's not not the Maxes? Uh, they've they're got 135 yeah, of those on order. That's yeah, and they're due for delivery in 2019. So, do the Maxes do they have a different type Slightly rating, longer. or can you actually do you need to be retype rated to fly a Max? I think they're very, very similar. I think it's a very short conversion uh, course, if I remember right. hearing okay. about it this rightly, because it's a very, very similar aircraft. Yeah. Um, the only difference being, I suppose, the MAX holds uh, 197 as opposed to 189 right. passengers. So That's it's, not it a huge slightly. difference. It's not a huge it? difference. Right, but, but the uh, avionics on the flight deck could be different, though. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think the Maxes have uh, slightly less uh, screens. They've they've sort of compacted the mm. um, the electronic flight instrument display system yeah. onto um, a lesser amount of screens. I think it's on, if I remember right, I think it's mm. four or five or five or six screens. Uh, you know, it has the information on. Mm. But, uh, uh, Lane Street's uh, saying in the chat room here that. Um, it's uh, a same type rating, difference, uh, difference training only. Mm. So yeah, yeah, so you short you, you, you're just picking up the little yeah. the little bit of paper. I suppose it'd be easier to do, which is why I wouldn't understand why they then go down the A320 model. I think I genuinely think they're just you know banging a drum, saying look, we're looking, we're having meetings with Airbus because I think even the Airbus CEO is sceptical about uh, you know the the seriousness of an order. Anyway. Yeah, the only thing is, though, if you're really planning on growing the business, and again, you get 100 or so aircraft, and Boeing just can't build them fast enough, you really have no other choice but going to Airbus. So it does make sense. But again, the complexities that are being added into their operation, they really need to be careful about that. Yeah, it's, um, I, as I say, I think it's just tub thumping. I think they're just using it as an excuse, aren't they? 
Sorry, something 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 was taking off at my na- my now favourite <laughs> airport and website. So sorry about that. I was distracted slightly. So moving on to uh, to the next story. Uh, who's this? Who's up now? I've lost my place. I've now. just is done it? it. So that would oh, be wait. that would be the legend that is Sir Nev. Nev, yes, Nev. This is uh, a special story um, about a slight uh, ding. I yes, say. it's um, <laughs> the uh, Aer Lingus A330 was taxing clips a building at San Francisco. And the aircraft was taken out of service on Wednesday after its wing clipped a concrete wall as it was being towed to a gate at San Francisco International Airport. No one was injured in the incident, but it did result in some damage to the aircraft. Uh, The incident occurred at 3.15pm local time, coming shortly after Aer Lingus Flight 147 had arrived into San Francisco from Dublin. Citing an airport spokesman, CBS affiliate KPIX reports that the jet was being taxied in by a tractor into the terminal when the tractor crew misjudged the turn and the wing clipped a concrete pillar. For goodness sake. San Francisco Chronicle adds after the plane was towed to the gate, Green paint from the plane's wingtip was clearly visible on the concrete post. Aer Lingus confirmed the incident to the Irish Independent, saying that a full investigation into the incident is underway. Uh, The carrier also cancelled the jet's scheduled return flight to Dublin that was supposed to operate as Aer Lingus Flight 146. Aer Lingus apologises for the inconvenience caused to impacted guests, the airline said in a statement to the Independent. Those who had arrived on Flight 147 ended up being stuck on board the aircraft for about an hour after the plane clipped the airport building. Maria Louise of uh, Belfast was amongst those on the flight. She described the moment of impact to NBC Bay Area saying, it was a bang, a good bang. Kind of made you go forward and back in your seat again. By the end though, she told NBC that most passengers were eager to get off the aircraft after the long flight from island so um, yes i don't know if you've got any pictures of that uh, matt but um yeah. yes it's a little bit of paperwork for everybody to fill out again yes there's, de- there's definitely some form filling in required i think for that yeah. one i mean yeah. it's just like i i it's definitely, I'm just definitely tight there isn't it it's definitely tight I, I i mean was the aircraft somewhere it shouldn't have been i don't understand how something like well, this is you have wing walking yes people, you usually should when, when an aircraft's being towed like that and yeah. uh, yeah, uh, well, whatever happened, someone misjudged it, I think, and um, it was clearly quite tight anyway. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think uh, the tug driver might be uh, going through either additional training or looking for a new career. Yes, somewhere. I, th- I, th- I think maybe <laughs> uh, you know, t- uh, t- towing aeroplanes is not his forte. I fear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, on to the very yeah, last they, yeah, they story. Yeah, the center lines that they're supposed to keep on and maybe they were avoiding some other aircraft on the other side of the field or uh, (laughs) alleyway and they just misjudged and he clearly I think wasn't if there was a wing walker he certainly wasn't paying attention to him or the wing walker wasn't paying attention yeah Yeah, but there was definitely a miscommunication going on there and as as Nev says a lot of paperwork will be required but Jeff (laughs) uh, Captain Jeff has quite rightly put in the chat room that uh, just a little bit of sanding required and that'll fix it right okay (laughs) right of course yeah Yeah. that's just yes can always rely on Captain Captain Jeff, Jeff for, yeah. uh, you know, he's obviously used to doing that. With I'm the mad very dog. sorry. I've I've lost the ability to don't know you. Don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. I've obviously lost the ability yeah. to communicate. Is where I was going with that. And don't you say what I think you were about to say. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Brian, uh, the next story is uh, for you on Flight Global. 
Yeah, the I think the only commercial aircraft that I haven't flown on, this is about uh, Airbus's great uh, A380. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so still looking forward to flying on A380. One of these days it'll, it'll happen. Uh, although this story kind of catches me by surprise because... I'm surprised they're still making the A380. Um, I see absolutely no reason for this aircraft any longer. Uh, but, so the first Airbus A380 for all Nippon Airways has rolled out the final assembly in Toulouse. So congratulations to Airbus and ANA for getting this plane. So Airbus says the aircraft with the ANA logo on its vertical tail will move to an outdoor station where structural Completion, engine installation, cockpit finishing will be conducted. It's always nice that they finish the cockpit before they put it in the service. Quite right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Earlier this year, the airline announced that its three A380s will each be configured with 520 seats, eight in first class, which I would love to check out, 56 Ooh, yes. in business, 73 in premium economy, and 383 in regular economy. The aircraft, that the aircraft will be powered by Rolls-Royce Trent 970 engines. Delivery of the first A380 to the Japanese carrier is scheduled for early 2019, after which it will be deployed on the Tokyo-Honolulu route. So I guess an awful lot of Japanese planning on going to Honolulu in <laughs> style and comfort on the A380. So. Yeah, they still are, mate. I think the production rate has uh, has been cut down quite a lot. I th uh, is it one and a half aircraft a month or something that they were producing? But they do have a big order, though, Brian, with uh, Emirates for some yeah. fresh new A380s. So, um, yeah, they're uh, obviously... And there is a second-hand market for them now, as we talked about. Oh, the uh, A380s, yeah, back. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And a lot, of the wet, a lot of wet leasing going on with them as well. Not yeah, so they're, they're they're the second-hand market is starting to open up for them. Is it? Yeah, the thing yes. that I still understand about Emirates, uh, I've looked at a lot of load factors on their flights, and they're going out not very full. So I, I still find it hard to believe mm. that they're taking more aircraft on when they can't fill the ones that they have. So Yeah, um, it's 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 good. Yeah. And just uh, for your benefit, Nev, there is uh, a BA uh, A three twenty at Lanzarote that's, that's gonna be taking off soon. Oh is there oh, when when how, how long have we got? <laughs> it's, it's still at the gate at the minute but oh, is it? Uh, oh, yeah. rubbish. it's probably running late to be fair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's got us off to London Gatwick, actually. Is it? Yeah, oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, so that was the last story in the commercial news segment there for this week. And uh, we are going to hand things over now to, uh, to Nev to explain what's going uh, on next. Yes, do you remember we had our 200th show, didn't we? Completely um, forgotten about it. Did, which did, seems did ages ago now. Yeah, it We've does. so many shows since. But, of course, we had a great meet-up with lots of people there, <clears throat> one of whom was a chap called Matt Caton. And uh, rather than telling you all about it now, let's just play the tape. Hello and welcome to another Nev's Passenger Experience. Well, those of you who came to the 200th show at Flight Experience London might well recognise the voice of Matt Caton, the fine fellow who brewed a special beer for us for this event. It was very tasty indeed and we must thank Matt once again for doing such a sterling job with it. 
Last week I got the chance to have another chat with him about flying this time and the kind of trips that he takes when going on holiday. I began by asking him how many times he normally flies in an average year. At least once or twice a year. Various different airlines, mostly Virgin at the moment because of the destinations that we're choosing. But we've been most places mm. around the world. Nice. And what, what sort of, um, what was your last flight you took? The last flight home was from Vegas to Gatwick. Obviously that was a return flight from Gatwick. Uh, that was on a 747. And then it was on a Virgin flight. We actually flew on Ladybird. Uh, we, I try and document which planes we go on. Now, um, what was the service like that you received? The service was excellent. Uh, we did fly upper class on the way out, um, and I can't fault it, to be honest. The, apart from the entertainment screens, the food is fantastic. Can't fault the food. I'm a vegetarian, so I'm a little bit picky, and they have plenty of choice. Uh, there's usually five different menu options to choose from, um, so I've got plenty of, plenty of options there. And the service from the, the boys and the girls on, on board is fantastic. I really can't fault them. Yeah, they've always got a good reputation, especially in upper class, haven't they? Yes. But even, I mean, we flew uh, premium economy coming home, and still, you know, I didn't see any, any difference in, in service quality, apart from the fact they've got more people to look after. You know, they're, they're very attentive, very friendly, always got a smile on their face. They're just great. Mm, great. Now, what about the in-flight entertainment? How, how was that for you? So, they do offer... An excellent range of films, and we had all the, all the films that had recently won the Oscars, but some of them are so dark, you can't watch them on the screen. Um, and the 747's flight entertainment systems haven't been upgraded, by the looks of it, and the screens are very dark. Um, I had the same problem last year, trying to watch uh, Star Wars, Rogue One. That was very dark, couldn't watch it. So I generally just watch the cartoons, to be honest. I watched <laughs> Captain Underpants. This year, it, that was very good. But like I say, if you try and watch anything too dark and moody... Um, That's interesting, because the, some of the in-flight entertainment systems on some of the older aircraft, obviously, they're getting on a bit. Um, yeah. But do you think, is there a case for actually not having any at all, and you just bring your own, so you load up your iPad or your tablet with films um, and, and do it that way? For some people, that would work. For me, it wouldn't, because I don't have Netflix... I don't watch a lot of TV, generally, so I don't sign up to any of these film uh, subscription services. So for me, going on an aeroplane is like going to the pictures. I get the, I get the opportunity to see some of these latest films, because I generally don't watch films. So that's an added bonus for me. And if they don't provide that for me, then I would just sit there and, and read or listen to music, I suppose. So that's, that's a bonus for me. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. And actually, I'm with you there because I'm not a big film fan either. So that's the, probably the, one of the only times I actually sit down and watch a film all the way through. Yeah, so the only, th the only films I've seen over the last two or three years have been on an aeroplane, apart from the odd film late at night on Channel 4, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, what about uh, short-haul operations? Do you do much um, flying around Europe at, at all? Uh, we've been to Benidorm a couple of times um, the last few years, just for a stopgap, um, an easy, easy flight to somewhere sunny on Jet 2. Right. Um, I think they were a new operator at the time. They were very good as well. Very clean planes, again, very good service. 
I did like their planes. They didn't offer us any food as a package because you have to buy uh, sandwiches and things on board. In, in terms of airline flying generally, I mean, it's funny, I always, always say this, that the, the, the easy bit is doing 600 miles an hour through the air. The, the difficult bit is, is the check-in and, and collecting your bags. What do you think is the, one of the areas that could be improved on, in, in that sort of area? For us, we're quite lucky because we do fly upper class quite a lot. And generally, if we fly with Virgin, we have a certain um, tier with our membership. We're silver tier. So we get to use the premium check-in, which cuts down a lot of the, uh, the queues and the waiting. I've seen an improvement in various airports recently in that they're trying to make an effort to get people through security by imp increasing lanes. I know Vegas has, has expanded a bit. Schiphol has changed over the years. Uh, that's a very easy airport to get through nowadays, just generally because there's more, more gates to go through, more uh, security gates available to each person. I've always thought that about Schiphol, actually, considering the size of the airport, it's obviously one of the largest in, in Europe, um, how they manage it so well. I mean, unless they have a big moment where there's fog or snow, but generally speaking, uh, navigating around the airport, there's very little queuing, I've noticed. It's easy, isn't it? Uh, the automated um, passport machines seem to work, whereas in places like Benidorm, they don't. That was one of the bugbears of Benidorm. <laughs> I'm not particularly ageist, but people of a certain age don't seem to know how to work the machines very Care well. Careful, careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know, with these modern technologies always comes a price, I think. One of the classic ones was coming home to Gatwick to um, a series of 20 machines in front of us, and only 10 were working because there was one guy looking after the machines. Well, if it's an automated machine, why do you need a bloke to work it? I don't understand that. Well, I, I understand what you're saying there, because I noticed that at Heathrow uh, T5 the other week as well, exactly the same story. You know, I've got all these machines, and half of them are shut down uh, for maintenance or whatever, um, and there's a couple of people actually op operating it, and, and just the queues are just as, as long as ever, aren't they? Yeah, it's, it's made not much difference at all, really. So... Um, yeah, that's interesting. Oh, I'm, I'd like to see what happens in, after Brexit. We will, will we have our own queue to go through nowadays instead of just going through the EU queue? Will they split that up even more? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they work that. Yeah, and um, I can remember a time not that long ago where you didn't, didn't need any identification or passport to go to the Republic of Ireland from the UK either. Um, right. And I never used to take my passport to Dublin or my driving licence, and I used to go backwards and forwards, I don't know, uh, five times a year probably. Um, but uh, over the last probably uh, three or four years, definitely, I, uh, you have to take your passport or some form of identification. Um, in terms of uh, future flying mats, have you got any plans to uh, get on the plane again soon? Uh, we're probably going to do the usual trip to Vegas um, next year, and I think we're actually planning a second trip. Uh, we've saved up enough points to get a free flight. At the moment, we've got enough to get to New York and back, uh, but after our next holiday, we should have enough to get to Vegas. So we're going to have a free trip on Virgin. Thanks, Richard. Well, that's nice, isn't it? I think yeah. the thing is trying to work out all this status business and points and how you can get from A to B. And I find this with BA sometimes. You, you look at the points, you think, oh, that's plenty. And then uh, there's a sort of a, a blackout area or a time when you can't travel. 
um, which makes it very difficult. Is it the same with Virgin as well? There's only selected flights you can take? There are similar stipulations, yeah. So there's um, an off-peak time and a peak time. So you're looking at paying nearly a third more in points for a peak time flight. I think to New York on an off-peak flight, you're looking at 75,000 air miles. That's off-peak. So if you go peak, you're looking at probably over 100,000. You've got to weigh it up. You've got to be a little bit clever. Use your points to the maximum if you can. Uh, that's what they're there for. Um, and if you can get a free flight out of an airline, then, then why not? Yeah. And imagine what it would be like uh, in the old days, if you can remember back that far, uh, before <laughs> we had the internet and you had to go down to your travel agent. You know, there was none of this sort of booking directly with the, the airlines. All these frequent flyer programs w would never work, would they? Because you, you, there's no way of finding out your, your status or, or what you were entitled to. That's right. I think it'd be a lot, a lot more difficult. Uh, I think my wife was um, a travel agent in a previous life because she is fantastic at finding prizes of flights and um, holidays. I just leave it up to her. She's, um, she's great at that. There are some people who are, who are naturally very good at this sort of thing, aren't they? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you need a lot of patience. I know Carlos is quite good at this as well. Yes, I mean, you can, you can spend hours or days, uh, actually, uh, looking at all this. But, um, and, of course, they do change for, from one day to the next sometimes as well. So it, it, it takes a bit of working out. Also, I think Watchdog did a, a feature where if you log on using a different laptop, you can get a different price. And it's something to do with the history on your Google account or things like that. They can actually work out if you've been looking at the same flight over and over again for the last couple of days, they start to put the price up because they know you're keen. This is very interesting, isn't it? And uh, why, why doesn't this surprise me? Uh, <laughs> the fact that they probably know about, more about you than you do. Uh, That's right. You know, but uh, No, it's very tactical, isn't it, as well, booking these sorts of things. And if you, as always, if you do a last-minute thing, you know, it's either going to be very cheap or very expensive. Certainly in long haul, it's very expensive. But, uh, yeah, they, they know your searching criteria and, and, and how you work, I think. Virgin normally have a sale at the end of August. So if anyone's looking for a cheap flight with Virgin, then that's probably the time to have a look. That's when we normally get ours booked up. So, And that's for the following year, is it? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, Matt, as always, terrific speaking to you. And thank you very much, by the way, for your beer contribution to the 200th show. That was superb. And it was, it was great to meet you then as well. That's no problem. Yeah, it's nice to meet everyone. Um, I don't get a chance to listen live. So... Um, I don't have a lot of contact with everyone, but that was, that was certainly a great day. And um, I've been working on more beer projects recently. That's why I haven't been around a lot. Um, but it was certainly a pleasure to see you guys. And I'm glad you, everyone enjoyed the beer, especially Steph. She seemed to enjoy that quite a lot. She did, didn't she? And uh, <laughs> Yeah, but it's great to hear you're still working on, on beer projects. That, that's an important, uh, important part of the show, I think. Yes. Yeah. Well, hopefully I can get to share some with you another time. Look forward to it, Matt. Mind how you go. Thanks so much indeed. Thank you. And he's in the chat room. He is. He says he never <laughs> makes a live show, and there he is in the chat room. There we go. Oh, and I can confirm, I have invited Matt. Oh, I forgot my hat there. Oh, I, have, dear. I have invited Matt to the uh, to the summer flying barbecue that we've got in August. So. Mm. Um, yeah, hopefully Matt uh, will be able to join us for the for the barbecue mm -hmm. and uh, possibly um, look. Even even the, the legendary Sir G Sir Jeff is saying that uh, that was indeed great bit. It was. I know not many people got to enjoy it because it went so fast. Um, but uh, uh, you managed to enjoy a bottle, didn't you, Sanev? 
Oh, yes, several, actually. Brian, did uh, you manage to get one? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I was able to, to enjoy one as well, and I can uh, uh, confirm that it was indeed uh, good. I'm unfortunately not going to be able to make it over in May, so if he could ship some oh. beer, if, if he's so kind to make some again, I would greatly appreciate and enjoy it here in uh, Pasadena. Oh, we'll see what we can do. I don't know how that quite works with customs, but I'll make some inquiries. Uh, I have still got one bottle left at home. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is one bottle left. (sighs) And I know people who didn't get a... I know one person who didn't get a bottle. So that would be your fault. That was at the end of the uh, day. The second... Yeah, the end of the day, yeah. 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 Oh, dear. Was it? I'm not sure I can make the BBC... The summer barbecue flying. Oh, I see. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I, he, I, he, he mispronounced the, the Q and put a C. I got a little bit overexcited. Oh, so I see. Right. So yeah, the sun- like, hello. It's like, what, what, what does auntie want? Nev, what have you done now? So we can see how close to uh, Q was on the keyboard to see. It's miles away. <laughs> it's miles and miles Perhaps he's been on the beer. Yeah. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps he's got a special keyboard. Anyway, sorry. We, we digress slightly. But thanks for that, uh, yeah. Nev. That was, that was awesome. It was. Yeah, yeah, good. Good to have work. a chat with Matt again, and uh, yeah, look forward to meeting up again soon sometime. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And uh, yeah, so on that note, don't forget the Summer Flying Barbecue, 18th of August this yes, year. Yes, I think so, yes. And uh, yeah, we're uh, obviously, as you all know, you listen mm-hmm. to the show, we're, uh, we are having our first yes. Summer Flying Barbecue. Yes, uh, Armando, by the way, who I was chatting to during the week, who is also going to fly in in his Piper 28, mm-hmm. uh, is adamant that they're going to try and do some kind of fly pass formation with Captain, flying. Formation yeah. flying with Captain Al and uh, try and take some photographs of each other in, in flight. So... Uh, that that is going to be, you know, I, I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. I've already yeah. planned the menu. You'll be pleased to know the food. That's... Burgers, sausages, burgers. Oh dear lord, sausages. no man! They're going to no no no. We're we're it's a BT UK meetup. It's going to be quality. It's not just going to be any burger. Oh, you're though. doing fried onions. Oh for God's sake! Honestly, <laughs> heathens. Oh. I, I'm working with the heathens. Oh, uh, Captain Jeff, please back me up. Answers on a postcard <laughs> for what uh, particular apron you want Matt to wear while he's cooking the uh, the food. Anyway, moving on That's to outrageous. the <laughs> moving on to oh. uh, the next uh, part of the show. I, I'm I'm on strike now. I'm no longer <laughs> pressing buttons. Good luck. I'll, I'll sing there. I'll sing the uh, sing the stinger to myself. Right. Yes. Uh, so we have, have to. We have got a few. Hey, I, I'm sorry, Carlos. Before you move on to the yes. military news, yes. Now I feel like Captain Al delaying as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, did you guys see the story about uh, how they're planning on putting urinals in commercial aircraft now? What? And they've done a study over the timing of how long it takes to use the facilities and how by adding two urinals to uh, an aircraft will increase productivity so much more. Right. Um, and if you haven't read that article, I will send you the the URL and please do. That's um, maybe, well, we, yeah, maybe put in the in the show for for next week. Will it be in a cubicle? I mean, do you have a private cubicle, or are you just sort of you know walking up to the front of the vehicle of the vehicle, <laughs> vehicle. <laughs> up to the front of the aircraft? And uh, look, you know, it's small steps. All right, I'm watching airplanes land and take off. All right, small baby steps. Uh, are they just gonna you know, or are they just gonna draw a curtain and then you do what you need to do and Oh, yeah, I haven't seen, they said they were going to take the size of the regular. I beg your um, pardon. <laughs> Where are we going uh, with this? <laughs> and convert it into um, two urinals. So uh, yeah, I, I don't wow. know if there's only going to be one door, if there'll be two doors, or a curtain, or how exactly they're going right. to do it. The article didn't have any photographs, but right. I found oh, it quite <laughs> interesting. Well, we did have the story a few weeks back, if you remember, guys, with the uh, B days. 
being installed, don't what, we? On aircraft? Yeah. Have you forgotten already, man? Yes, You've got yes, mem- I memory like a sieve, and I, I thought have, I was yes. bad. Yes, yes. <clears throat> Indeed. Anyway, anyway should, we, should we do some military? Let's do some military news here <laughs> yeah, before we get before we upset anyone. So Too late for that. If everyone's yeah. ready, yeah. <laughs> yes, no, you can't do it that quickly. I'm not ready. He's not go. ready. <laughs> So the first news story in a military segment this week is on the Royal Air Force uh, site, uh, raf.mod.uk. Ooh, one of my favourite aircraft is. it's regarding one of the aircraft that we've seen very much at air shows across the UK. And, uh, and I've also had a chance to sit in the flight deck of one of these. Oh, and this is the A400M. Atlas uh, has gained full aeromedical capability. So the Royal Air Force's A400M Atlas, the RAF's newest transport aircraft, has achieved a new milestone, gaining full aeromedical evacuation capability for high dependency and high infectious patients. The delivery of this airborne medical capability represents another important step towards the Atlas program, which is delivering vital air transport solutions for the Royal Air Force. During a recent uh, demonstration to senior Royal Air Force officers, Tactical Medical Wing, or TMW, based at RAF Bryce Norton, uh, they showed the impressive aeromedical evacuation capabilities of the Atlas. The uh, A400M can carry up to 66 low to medium dependency stretcher patients or four high dependency stretcher patients. Uh, the Critical Care Air Support Team, or CCAST, based at Bryce uh, Norton, provides care equivalent to that found in an NHS intensive care unit, including intubation and ventilation. Uh, I hope the, the waiting lists aren't quite as it's not uh, as bad. Not with the Royal Air Force. No, <laughs> the Atlas also supports the Air Transportable Isolator (ATI), which is a secure, high-tech plastic bubble that allows patients with high-consequence infectious diseases to be transported safely without infecting others. Once landed, the ATI patient is transported to the hospital, usually the Royal uh, Free Hospital in London, by ambulance. So the uh, full aeromedical evacuation capability of the A400M, including uh, CCAST and ATI, represents a major landmark for the program and the development of a world-class air transport capability for the Royal Air Force. Now, I have to say, this uh, this is really starting to prove itself uh, to be really useful now to the Royal Air Force. And uh, I know that when we spoke to the pilots a few years back at, uh, at Riyadh, you know, they, they all absolutely loved flying the aircraft and were incredibly mm. in awe of its capabilities and what it, uh, it can do. You know, it has, it's had its teething problems over the uh, few years, past few years, but, um, you know, I think this is definitely a, a good, uh, good, strong, capable aircraft for the Royal Air Force. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it's a very agile aircraft, as mm. we saw at the yeah. uh, at um, Farnborough as well, yeah. didn't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, the next story. Yes, the next story is on Flight Global again, and the headline is Bell confident on V. 280 as development gathers pace. A Bell helicopter is confident that its new V280 Velour tilt rotor will achieve the program's targeted speed of 280 knots, that's 518 kilometers per hour later this summer, with the test aircraft having so far hit 190 knots during initial transitions to forward flight. The chase plane is now an aero, is it Vodo Chodi? 
40, sorry, apologies if I got that wrong. Uh, L39, we can't use a helicopter anymore as they are not, uh, they're just simply not fast enough. Uh, Steve Mathias, who's the Vice President of Global Military Business Development at the US manufacturer, told SMI's Helicopter Technology Eastern and Central Europe Conference. First flight of the V-280, which has been produced for a US technology development effort, took place last December, and Bell has since accumulated around 30 hours on the platform, including sorties with uh, its, with its uh, pro prop rotors tilted horizontally. Uh, it is on track to hit 280 knots by the summer. We are where we expect it to be, said Matthias. So the uh, aircraft is currently located at Bell's facility in Amarillo, Texas. Um, but will move to its main Fort Worth site later this year. A second U.S. Army test pilot has also now flown the aircraft, and he says for, he says sorry following sorties with uh, another Army aviator on the 7th of February. Bell is developing the V-280 as a risk reduction exercise known as the Joint Multi-Role Technology Demonstrator ahead of the USA's launch of its proposed future vertical lift program so Matthias says the company is so confident that the v280 uh, in the v280 that it will could now theoretically move into the engineering manufacturing and development phase of a typical US acquisition program we could go straight to the milestone B decision and cut uh, about four cut out about four years of acquisition process he says the JMR JD phase is uh, scheduled to last until 2019 with FVL likely to to be launched in the early or mid 2020s uh, to begin deliveries in the 2030s. So it's still a little way off, I think, really, before we see them, uh, you know, sort of uh, commonplace. Bell faces competition from a joint, uh, is it Sikorsky uh, slash Boeing team, which is building the SB1 Defiant compound rotorcraft. However, that aircraft is running behind schedule and has not and has yet to actually fly. So mm. I was looking up, because uh, I was just trying to see what the V280 was all about. And mm. um, when you look at the pictures, it's very, very similar to the, the V22 Osprey, mm. uh, which is an oh, awesome, yes. yeah. awesome tilt rotor that we have here in the UK flying yeah. around quite a lot. And obviously Armando yeah. has a lot to do with those as well, the V22. And uh, this one, the, uh, the V280, um, it differs from the V22. It's slightly smaller. But uh, also one of the uh, differences that it has as well is that uh, when the, uh, the, the difference between the V22 and this is when the tilt rotors move, the engines remain in place uh, while the rotors and drive shafts tilt. So that's the difference between how this operates and the V22 operates. Wow. But uh, if you Google that, if you Google the uh, V280 Valor, it's uh, classed as Valor, V-A-L-O-R, uh, it looks awesome. It's kinda, it kind of looks like a very streamlined, um, uh, sort of more meaner version of the V22, but right. it's definitely worth looking up. So, um, yeah. So, moving on to the last one then, Nev, this is good news for our, our newest uh, aircraft carrier here in the UK. Yes, about time, isn't it? And uh, this is on the Flight Global website again, and it says that the UK Royal Navy has taken delivery of the first of an eventual 25 Leonardo helicopters, uh, A101 Merlin HC4 heavy lift transports, but future upgrade priorities are already being outlined. To be operated by the RN's uh, Commando Helicopter Force, the former Royal Air Force Merlins are being upgraded 
and marinized under a £388 million contract. Deliveries of the helicopters, which are being raised from the HC3-3A standard, are to run until 2023. But the CHF is already considering its next upgrade requirements, with in-flight refuelling topping the list. We would really like that capability. It would be a real force multiplier, Lieutenant Commander Aaron Cross, who's the operations officer for 846 NAS, one of the two units that will operate the aircraft, told a Prague conference on the 24th of May. Uh, In-flight refueling is not part of the um, uh, Mark IV program, but it added uh, clearly multiples, uh, most of, uh, multiplies most of Merlin's capabilities, says Cross. That is clearly where we are looking beyond the Mark IV, so in five years' time, that will be the drum we are beating. As part of the current modification work, the helicopters will receive a folding tail and main rotor blades, a new glass cockpit and improved defensive aid suite, which for the first time includes a chaff dispenser. Cool. Sorry. Uh, it almost <laughs> beggars belief uh, for a combat helicopter uh, that it has no radio frequency countermeasures, says Cross. The initial example was handed over at a special ceremony on the 24th of May at RNAS Yeovilton, the new base for the helicopters. And the next milestone for the Merlin HC-4 will be embarkation aboard the RN's new uh, aircraft carrier, HMS Queen Elizabeth. Nice. It's nice. Yeah, that's really a massive helicopter, isn't it? It is huge. It is huge. Absolutely yeah. huge. You said you you've seen it, Carlos. I um, a few years back, if you remember, I went to the the air show at Malta when I was oh, yes. on holiday. Yeah, yeah. And um, these guys were there with one of these, and I got the chance to uh, to interview and speak to uh, to pu the pilot on board, and they actually uh, went on board yeah, mm. the helicopter and stuff. And they are huge inside. They are really? really, yeah, they are very big inside. How many people do you think that that it's sort of? Oh, old? I mean, it, uh, it's a good sort of I, off the top of my head, but it's a good fourteen or fifteen seats. That they have really? Yeah, wow, that is a, a lot for a helicopter. helicopter. Yeah, yeah. But it's a very uh, it's a very um, well proven again helicopter that the Royal Navy do use. Because I know like the ones that they use for like doing. Um, like people transport and stuff with the offshore rigs and things here in the UK. I mean, I think they only have like eight seats, don't they? I mean, they're not, you know, that's, it's, that's why I'm trying to give a, a scale of, of the size of this thing, you know, to be able to take sort of 15, you know, pe people. And you think like the, the helicopter that we're familiar with around here with the east of England, um, you know, the air ambulance thing and how... how how little space there is in, in in one of those i mean at 15 is 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 insane isn't it you're actually just reading up on these so the the merlin hm1 um can actually uh, a maximum stretch mm. uh, it can carry up to 38 passengers in that actually it's uh, yeah. quite good or five tons of payload as well they can uh, they can have on board these but um, it's uh, it's aw it's an awesome bit of kit, you know. It's great to see when he's up close and personal because uh, it's something you don't normally get a chance to do. But an um, update on uh, um, Lanzarote Airport is now getting dark. By the way, oh, the, it's the uh, LanzaroteWebcam.com if you want to have a look at uh, what I've been frankly obsessed by throughout the entire <laughs> show uh, this evening. But it's no, doesn't it look uh, nice at night? It's lovely, like isn't it? it? Yeah, it's, it's good. a little ATR yeah. seventy two. I think just taxing yeah. down. You, there. you do realise I'm going to have this on my TV when I go to bed, don't you? <laughs> night it's, it's good it's, bit, it's, it's soothing <laughs> whoever, whoever would have thought aviation could be soothing look who would have thought i would be the one obsessing over aviation mm, i know but anyway there we are that is so. the worrying that thing definitely sounds like you have a problem yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, you have met Carlos, right? I'm just, I'm just checking. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. anyway, yes, indeed. So uh, it is time to move on to our next segment. Yes, so we have, uh, obviously, we've got a new segment on the show. And those of you who will know that uh, we, we used to have a regular segment from Pip, but uh, Pip has always been very busy flying around in his uh, beautiful new shiny Phenom. Uh, but he's, he's come back with a vengeance, and he's brought us a new segment, which is the PPE segment. Not to uh, be confused with hard hats. Not to be confused and, yeah, yeah. with <laughs> safety equipment for, uh, for work. But, uh, no, it's the Pip's uh, pilot mm. uh, Experience. experience that's it segment. Yes, there well we done. go <laughs> and uh, yeah we're going to bring that in the second installment is uh, is ready for you to listen to right now plane safety from the flight deck with pilot Pip. hello welcome to the second installment of pip's pilot experience and this segment i've decided to entitle just how dumb am i and the answer is, as it turns out, really quite dumb, at least based on this last week's performance. Now, I hope you guys don't get the impression that us pilots doing this for a living are some sort of superhuman sky gods, because, well, for me, that's just not the case. I make mistakes aplenty, more than my fair share of mistakes, to be honest. Well, this week was no exception. You know, mistakes come in all shapes and sizes, from tiny little widgy ones like reading back the wrong frequency, which I probably do on a daily basis, uh, particularly in French airspace. I don't know why, but the, the French accent, particularly when uh, listening to no the numbers two and three, something about the French accent, it just muddles my brain and I, I constantly get it wrong. So reading back a frequency would be a small mistake, up to great big whoppers. Uh, and I made a couple of howlers this week, which I thought maybe <laughs> I'll tell you about and might just amuse you somewhat. Uh, so the first of these was flying up to Leeds Bradford International Airport, that tropical paradise up in the north of the UK. And I don't know what was going on that day. I guess I was just not paying attention. Same for both of us, actually. You know, we, we both let this mistake uh, slip. So what happened was we're flying up uh, probably somewhere just over the north side of London at 35,000 feet. And air traffic control gave us the following instruction. They told us to descend to flight level 250, 25,000 feet, to be level 40 miles before a particular point. Okay, that's a fairly standard thing to, uh, to do. So I did a quick mental calculation, uh, 10,000 feet to lose. Rough guideline is times that by three, so 10,000 times three well, is 30,000, but knock off the zeros, that's 30 miles would need to descend 10,000 feet. That's a standard calculation or standard guideline that we use. Three times the altitude is the distance we'd need to fly. Um, but somewhere in those few seconds of making that calculation, my brain neglected, threw away the most important part of that instruction, which was to be level 40 miles before that point but in my head I had translated that to be level at the point so I thought okay well, we've got plenty of time here I need to start my descent about 30 miles before this point uh, 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 uh. what I should have done was 30 miles plus the 40 so that would have been 70 miles but that part just went in one ear and out the other so off we went both of us merrily with not a care in the world, 
And it wasn't until some minutes later that air traffic control came back to us and said, uh, just confirm you are going to be make that level restrictions 40 miles before the point. And we both went, oh no, we got it wrong. So uh, we did make the level restriction, but we had to descend at quite a high rate, uh, a little bit more than would otherwise uh, be comfortable with passengers on board. But there we go. So we both gave ourselves a, a metaphorical slap on the wrist for that. But the second mistake came uh, a few days later, flying into Bern in Switzerland. Now, if you've listened to the latest plane safety podcast episode, I mentioned burn in there it's it's caught me out before although in a slightly different way but it is a tricky little airport uh, hopefully matt's been able to put the approach plate up on the video so you can see what i'm talking about as you're listening to this so let me set this up for you burn has a single runway runway 1432 around the south of the airfield there's lots of high terrain the alps the swiss alps so we generally like to land on runway 14 and take off on 32 so you land towards the high ground and take off away from it um, but sometimes the wind just doesn't work out sometimes you just get a, a northwesterly wind which gives you a tailwind onto runway 14 which means you would have to circle round to land on 32 which is not a big deal in itself although it is as i've said a tricky little number as particularly the circling approach there and that was the situation we had that day. It was northwesterly at about seven or eight knots, which actually is within the limits to land on one four. We could accept a seven or eight knot tailwind. In fact, we could accept up to 10 knots. So we had asked previously ATC that if it was possible to make a straight in approach for one four. But they said, no, due to traffic, it's quite busy. We're going to have to take the circling on to three two. OK, then we said. So we set up and briefed for that. Now, the circling approach there, what it has you do is fly inbound down the localizer at 4,000 feet to a point at about four and a half miles, and then you break off to the left and fly a circuit to the north, all at 4,000 feet, which is actually quite high for a circling approach. It's about two and a half thousand feet above the runway, which is quite high. We'd normally make a circling approach at maybe 1,500 feet or, or less, maybe 1,000 feet. So that means at some point on the downwind, you've got quite a lot of altitude to lose so you can make it round for a stable approach onto 3-2. And they do that at Bern for noise abatement purposes. They don't want you flying too low over the city of Bern. It upsets all those rich Swiss people sitting on their money thrones. Okay, so no problem. We set up for that, brief for that. Talked a little bit about uh, which configuration to use because I'm, you know, I'm still relatively new on the aircraft. So uh, I took some advice on that, exactly uh, how we were going to fly that. And that's a plan in hindsight that we should have stuck to. I'm, I'm a big fan of making a plan and sticking to it and not changing unless there's a, a really very good reason to do so. And especially not changing it at quite a late stage, which actually is the trap that we got lulled into. So here's what happened. Well, we were held up quite high, so having to descend down quite quickly through some bubbly CB-type clouds. So the icing system was on, uh, which actually makes it very difficult to slow down. So we arrived in the general area of burn, being vectored onto the localizer with a fair bit of altitude and a fair bit of speed to lose. And that's a bad combination generally. You can do one or the other, but not both at the same time. So we joined the localizer 
uh, down at 4,000 feet with still quite a lot of speed to lose. But that's not a problem, uh, I thought, because we've still got quite a few miles to run before we have to break off the approach for the circling. So I thought we've probably got three or four miles here, which is more than enough to let the speed bleed off and we can start configuring. But just as we're getting onto the localizer, ATC says to us, OK, well, if you want, you can make the straighten approach to 1-4. And this is a, probably our first mistake. We should have said, no, well, you know, we're set up for the circling. We'll just continue with that. But we didn't because we're pilots and we're silly and we like to get on the ground as quickly as possible and make the flight time as short as possible. We said, yep, OK, we can do that. Unfortunately, we had just or just passing through the glide slope intercept at that point. And it's quite a steep approach at burn. It's four degrees as opposed to three. Uh, now, you may think, well, what's the difference? Three or four degrees is not that much. But, you know, it's a fair old difference. So I quickly put it into a vertical speed mode to try and capture the glide slope from above, which, again, is less than ideal. We generally like to capture glide slopes from below. But, you know, that's not a big deal in itself. But now we've got a tailwind. We've got a steep approach on which we're already slightly high and we're steaming in at uh, quite a rate of knots. So this is <laughs> all adding up to be a bit of a mess. So throttles are at idle. Uh, immediately have the gear put down, which is nice and draggy. That gets the aircraft slowed down. Uh, and as soon as we get within the flap limiting speed, which is on the Phenom, is 180 knots for the first stage of flap, which is really quite low. I find that quite restrictive. Uh, I call for flaps one, which again was probably a little bit of a mistake and perhaps shows my lack of experience on the type because as soon as you put the flaps down, you lose the use of the speed brakes. With the gear down, you can use the speed brakes and clean, you can use the speed brakes, but with flaps out, you can't until you get to full flaps and then you can use the speed brakes in the steep descent mode. But I neglected to take that into account and we went gear down flaps one. Probably what would have been better would have been for me to stay with the gear down and just use the speed brakes to get the aircraft slowed down. That would have been a much more efficient way of slowing down. But unfortunately, that's not what we did. So we went flaps one, and then as the speed gradually bleeds off a bit more, we can go flaps two, and then eventually down to flaps three, and then flaps four but it you know this aircraft doesn't slow down very well it's quite as we say a slippery aeroplane so the net result of this is that we're coming down the approach much faster than our profiles dictate now we did recapture the glide slope quite early on so we weren't going that steeply down but it was fast 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 all the way down at the various check gates that we have we were stable in everything except speed. Now we talked about this a little bit on my last podcast. Uh, we do have some leeway on the speed when it comes to our stable criteria. And it's ironic that we just produced a whole episode on going around and why we should be going around. And this was a classic example of an approach that we probably, in hindsight, should have thrown away at quite an early stage and accepted that we fluffed it up a bit, flew the missed approach and, and had another crack at it. Now the missed approach itself is quite a tricky one as well so maybe that was it in the back of our minds just sort of playing at our subconscious thinking oh i don't want to make this missed approach because it's a it's a bit of a bugger to fly but strictly speaking uh, i think we were just about stable at the last possible point at 500 feet above the airfield it was a nice visual beautiful day nice weather except for the tailwind so we, we by the strictest criteria 
we just made our stabilization point but it wasn't pretty i must admit and once on the ground i think we kind of looked at each other and sort of exchanged glances and i think we knew that perhaps we could have done a little bit better with that one you know some of it as i said was just due to my relative inexperience on the type i've probably only got a couple of hundred hours on it at this stage after six months and also just our willingness to get suckered into that late change of plan and you know it's not the first time that's happened to me and it certainly probably won't be the last but i think in many cases it really is best just to stick to the plan that you've already made and briefed and don't change it unless you really do have a very good reason why you should well hopefully lesson learned for next time but between you and me i'm pretty sure that won't be the last time i make a mistake because as i said at the beginning i'm only human after all you're only human ah we all make mistakes yeah it's um I mean, it is your worst nightmare, isn't it? As a, as a, you know, a part pilot, because the, I mean, there's so much at stake, isn't there? I mean, it's just, all right, you know. I mean, there was no issues in regard, because I suppose you know that's the joys of being experienced pilots and stuff. But I, I have made many mistakes when I've, when yeah. I've been flying. With, yeah, but you're with, learning that. That's well, kind yeah, of expected. I, I, you know, with with <laughs> RT and stuff. Yeah. You know, when you're when you're speaking on the radio and, mm. and you're you, you've got it in your head what you want to say. This is the big mm. thing. You know, you know exactly what you've got to say in your head. Yeah. Yeah. But what comes out of your mouth yeah, is, is a different thing altogether. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Ah, yeah. well. Yeah. We so are. thanks for that, Pip. Yeah. Brilliant. That yeah. In. Keep them coming. Loving them. Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget, you can find Pip. Every day in my life. That is true. Uh, that is very true. Uh, well, listen, look, guys. Uh, unfortunately, we have sort of overrun a little bit, so we're, we're it is time to start wrapping up. Yeah, me Brian. And never got to be up early tomorrow. Well, that is true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, Brian, thank you so very much yeah. for joining us uh, th- this evening. And uh, yeah, it's just it's always a pleasure to have you on. So uh, uh, we'll have you on again soon, sir, if we may. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I really appreciated it. Sorry for the microphone issue. We'll sort it out in, in time for next time. Yeah, you? we, you'll be an expert in Google Hangouts before you know it, sir. It'll, it'll, be, uh, it'll be all part of the fun. But, uh, yeah, perfect. The one thing I wanted to mention, if I could, though, do. is uh, the Airplane Geeks are having to meet up uh, June 16th at the Udvar Hazy Air and Space Museum. Wow. Uh, so Father's Day weekend here in the United States. The event is between 10 and 3, and after... The event, we're having a dinner over at the Red Robin that's uh, very close to, to the Udvar Hazy uh, Museum. So that's one out at Dallas Airport. And if anyone's in the States and wants to come by, we'd love to see you. Definitely, yeah. I can, I can recommend uh, the, everybody's company. You're going to have a very good uh, day if you, can, if you can make it. So, uh, so uh, what was the date again, Brian, and where is it being held? It's June 16th at the Udvar Hazy Air and Space Museum. Cool. Can't Lovely. make it. Yeah, no, I can't make it, unfortunately. But wow, yeah, I've got, I think I've got a barbecue then, jet, haven't I? Jet 2 yeah. don't fly, jet <laughs> yeah, two don't yeah. fly there, yeah? <laughs> no, no, right, okay. It's only a matter great. of time. It's a, yeah. a great museum, though, and uh, I went there uh, last year for the first time, and yeah. absolutely superb place. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go back there at some point. Definitely. Would, would you say, Nev, it's up there in the, in the best ones? 
Mm, very much so. Yeah. yeah, and there's plenty of space. I mean, the, the, it's a it's a really good place. Just to well, you, you can easily spend the whole well, more than the whole day there. But uh, no, I, mm. I really enjoyed it when I went. And what there. better reason to go to an amazing museum than to go and spend some time with the airplane geeks? I mean, what yeah. what, what more could you need? So, well, Brian, I, ho- I hopefully we'll speak to you afterwards and we hear about how it how it went. Yeah, sure. We'd love to come back on and 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 talk it. Lovely. about the event at that time yeah. splendid yeah sounds good good right well we're going to start wrapping up as i say because these two here this one here and uh, and the, the the legend that is sir nev uh what time have you got to be up in the morning nev uh, it's not too bad actually about uh quarter to seven Ooh. so i'm gonna leave here about seven thirty, <laughs> and then should be at sprunting thought by about nine right That's okay and, and what time do you have to get up carlos in order to get there well because me and matt live in uh the the back end of uh, nowhere, end nowhere yeah. <laughs> uh, i should be i should be leaving my house around about 6 a.m oh lovely morning. what a treat yes. at 6 a.m um, you'll be tired and waspy then yeah, yeah i'll be full of the <laughs> joys of spring Good um, luck, Nev. That's all I'm going to tell you. Good luck. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll find some coffee and uh, mm. general food uh, business and that sort of stuff. Indeed. Too, right. yeah. Yeah. And uh, obviously you have got the mandatory photograph of ice creams. Don't forget that, gentlemen. Mm. Oh, yeah, those of course. Are, that. We'll those are about, yeah. the rules. Yeah. Those yeah. are the rules. Because, you know, obviously Captain Al will be... Uh, very impressed if you do so don't forget <laughs> if any of our uk listeners who might be listening now uh i think it'll be too late for the audio listeners because yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it would. but uh yeah it'll be great to see you at brunting thought tomorrow yep. uh for the cold Absolutely. war jets day it'll be our first my first and nev's i think first time there yeah and we're looking forward to seeing what uh, what you have yep. on offer and looking forward to all the content that I'm sure you gentlemen Woo-hoo. are going to uh, sort out. So, uh, Brian, if they want to listen to the Airplane Geeks and they're not aware of it, how do they get? How do they find your fabulous podcast? They can go to airplanegeeks.com. Right, very simple. Ours is uh, plaintalkinguk.com. It is our Twitter handle is at plaintalkinguk, and you'll find us on Facebook by facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk. If you would like to volunteer yourself for a Nev's passenger experience, you can do that by writing to us by email to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Right, I think Carlos is obviously already overtired. He's become a small child. Uh, so from from all of us then it is no, time. Is it time to go it is time oh. to go so from have a great all weekend, of us everyone. today this is episode 218 <laughs> signing out goodbye everyone bye, bye everyone bye. <laughs>